Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Yeah, there it is. When that robot voice comes in, you know it is time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to ELP. Especially if you're one of our geeks in costume, using this podcast to power you through the Halloween weekend. Well, if you're walking with your kids, trick-or-treating, or if you're just looking for some pumpkins to smash, we're going to be in your ear holes for 90-plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free. Thanks to our patrons over at patreon.com slash Pod. They bring the show to you. Their support, their generosity means we get to make these. And in exchange, they get some cool perks, including ad-free versions of the show, video versions of the show on demand, and a bevy of bonus content, including, ladies and gentlemen, Feeling This. Feeling This, two seasons of Feeling This, where Christian Spicer and Alex Solman talk about the feelings behind video games. Plus, the audio podcast version of the DLC Book Club, where Lana Bashinsky and myself are talking about the Malazan Books of the Fallen. Also, Wednesday is Paid DLC Day, where we're talking about all kinds of stuff. We had our showdown, our bracket of deciding the best candies for Halloween. We have the weekly listener patron prompt, where we talk about uh, what you want to talk about, we're in- incorporating uh, listener discussion into the paid DLC show. It's amazing. It's a two-way street of awesome. Get in on it over at patreon.com slash DLC pod. But this show, the main show, DLC, it's the show about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always. By my friend slash co-host slash creepy writer. It's Alan Wake, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, Alan. I am a podcaster. And I've been stuck in this place called DLC for a decade. The only way out is for me to podcast my way out. I must transform this podcast into a path in which I can escape the lake that isn't a lake. And by doing so, impact what's happening in the real world. It's a tall order for one uh, simple podcast <laughs> such as this. But uh, ladies and Jeff gentlemen. said as he murdered his family. Oh, sorry. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I'm reading the I'm reading my the, the page of my lines ahead of time. This is weird. Um, it, folks, if you're not a patron and you're not watching the video versions of the show, you're missing out on, uh, let's just say, one of the best costumes uh, most timeliest costumes. We're going to be talking about Alan Wake 2 today. And Christian, 
has not just dressed up, I would say transformed into the titular Alan Wake. It's an, uh, amazing, just, it's an amazing I'm, thing. It's amazing. Just, you, you look I'm, incredible. I'm just glad I liked the game. Spoiler for later, because I planned this costume well before I knew if I'd like the game. <laughs> this is a, we can all remember three years ago when Christian wanted to dress up like Cyberpunk 2077. I get and to bring it out this year, finally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, thank you, Christian, by the way, for last week. Uh, I was uh, down with the flu, uh, and at the very last minute, we uh, we, we cobbled together uh, some folks, some friends that would were willing to jump in at the last minute. Christian uh, anchored the show, and I really appreciate that. Thank you, Christian, for doing that. Glad you uh, feel better. You were missed, but we had a hell of a show. But uh, you know, I can't bring that same energy to start. I tried my best, but it, you know, <laughs> I can only do so much. <laughs> well, we have an awesome one for you today. We got lots to talk about. Alan Wake Two, of course. Uh, Mario Wonder. We got so much to get to. And ladies and gentlemen, we have an awesome guest to do that with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, once again, DLC stands for distinguished london chap because our friend from across the pond you know him you love him ceo of unbound.com where you can get my book best summed up the uh, ultimate limerick quiz book right now unbound.com it's will harris will with one l harris hey will how are you Ooh, spooky but in English. <laughs> Lovely to join you fellas for a real hangout. <laughs> it will be a hangout. We're going to hang out and talk about video games. Uh, excited. How have you been, sir? Um, uh, your, your company is awesome. And uh, my book is going to be published. We have, we've been funded. I'm so excited if folks haven't been paying attention. Uh, I'm, I do limerick reviews of movies over on the film cast. And uh, with unbound.com, we're putting together all the limericks into a book form. And it's going to be in bookstores. It's going to be amazing. I'm so thrilled. We're delighted to be um, to be publishing it, and it's you know it feels a little Ghostbusters esque to be crossing the streams here um, and talking about the, the the film cast book that you've been doing. But we're we're really excited to be publishing it. We have had a, a year of producing really cool geeky stuff. We have a, a book out right now called Forty Two, which is an incredible compendium of Douglas Adams miscellanea. Um, I was at so Comic yesterday promoting that. So it's a it's a it's a good time to be uh, looking for geeky books. Yeah. And uh, it's been a great time to be a gamer as well. I mean, it's, it's you know, catching up to come on the show is always a, a real treat. And oh, yeah. my word, you know, uh, not so much a treat for my wallet when I go back and try and catch up on everything that I uh, should have been playing. But uh, she's there's some there's some good stuff out there for us to talk about today. Yeah. And I believe Unbound is also uh, publishing a book about uh, uh video game bottoms is that correct <laughs> yeah we have a great book called uh, things you can learn from mario's butt or things i learned from mario's butt which is a great <laughs> book of um yeah weird facts and interesting life lessons from video game character butts you know they have a um a great um retrospective called um uh t- itchy tasty which is a a, a sort of um 
retrospective of uh, Resident Evil, which is in- incredibly, ah. um, incredibly creepy to read through as well. So there's some good video gaming stuff there for sure. Check it out, unbound.com. Very, very cool. Uh, let's get into it, though. We got a lot to get to. So let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send comments or questions or, you know, high fives, whatever you like dlcfeedback at gmail.com we love hearing from you uh you can also hang out in our discord fun place to hang out with cool folks talking about video games all sorts of other stuff too the d uh the uh, discord is five by five dlc on discord really lovely community i urge you to take part ladies and gentlemen but will you are our guest so you get first pick of stories what would you consider to be your story of the week so this is an interesting one for me because as guest, I do get first pick of, of story of the week. But what is the clear story of the week is for the one console that I haven't really been playing. Um, <laughs> but let's go for it anyway. The Xbox partner preview is here to go along with an Xbox leadership, an Xbox leadership shuffle, leadership shuffle, yeah. leadership reshuffle. Um, and it's, a, it's a, been a big week in, in Xbox land. Yes, indeed. Uh, obviously, you know, Xbox acquisition of Activision Blizzard King happening. Uh, Some new uh, shuffles around that. Uh, But for folks that get excited about uh, new games, upcoming games, Microsoft did have uh, a new uh, branding of uh, a kind of presentation. They called it the Xbox Partner Preview. Uh, This is third-party centric games, uh, games coming from from third parties to uh, Microsoft. Uh, and they uh, they showed off a number of them, some stuff coming out very, very soon. Um, the showcase ended with a big presentation uh, on Alan Wake 2, uh, which we will be talking about at length uh, in the what we've been playing section of the show, the playlist. But uh, some other stuff that's a little farther out. Um, we had RoboCop Rogue City shown off, the new Ark Survival Ascended game that has been uh, long in development. A big show off of uh, the Metal Gear Solid Delta Snake Eater remake on Unreal Engine 5. Uh, some smaller games as well. Will, which, uh, which of these uh, partner previews uh, were you most intrigued by? So, I mean, the obvious headliner here is, is uh, the sort of much, um, I don't know, what, like too many words in the title. Metal Gear Solid Delta Snake Eater which yeah, is, is a, a long not just that's, a, that's a, that's a long abbreviation the the old mgs dse you know yeah um, as we got we like know. emojis in that title there's you know yeah it's a lot. it's, it's <laughs> but it looks i mean it looks very cool it you know the unreal engine 5 is is clearly the next generation sort of engine of choice um it it looks incredible you know i'm somebody who didn't really play through um a lot of the early playstation mgs's so the chance mm. to sort of go back and replay this is is fantastic i mean it's an interesting use you know when you think about the partners of of technology of okay maybe what if, what if we didn't have to create all all new content all the time what if we sort of remade the previous yeah. stuff it's just ever so slightly quicker than doing it totally from scratch but you have to wonder if there's a big difference here between doing, you know, Metal Gear Solid totally from scratch versus, you know, re- remaking Snake Eater. 
um, yeah. given the amount of work to transport it to Unreal Engine 5, which does look incredible. Yeah, th- this uh, this trailer um, showed some actual gameplay, but there was a lot of close-ups of animals, you know, just showing off the <laughs> visual fidelity, uh, long, swampy tracking shots, you know, of uh, an alligator and then a bird and a snake. You know, uh, it looks really nice. Which um, is really interesting, given that one of the other games in the showcase was Ark, which seemed to also showcase a lot of long tracking shots of weird swampy animals in Unreal indeed. Engine 5. I was like, is this, am, I, am I on repeat here? <laughs> and also looked beautiful, I would say. I think uh, Ark Survival Ascended, although it has uh, now come out in early access, and a lot of people are like, oh, it's very beautiful because I can't play it on my PC. Uh, very, uh, you know, they're having some rough times over there with uh, the first release of Ark Survival Ascended. Uh, but Christian Spicer, you are our resident, uh, I should say, Alan. Alan, <laughs> Mr. Wake, if I may. Uh, you are our resident uh, Metal Gear Solid aficionado. Uh, what did you make of the solid Snake Eater Triangle Delta plus one minus seven uh, trailer? I think it looked very pretty. I do think until sorry, no, no, we Chris, know- Sorry, Christian, we asked, we asked Alan. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Alice is is somewhere, and... You don't understand. <laughs> if you let if if you let Kojima-san leave the Metal Gear franchise, it, it won't it won't be the same. You, you, he's editing everything in real time, and and, and so just keep you, it up the whole this, show, Christian. It's fine. <laughs> you, you have this game in in this new engine, but 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 without the creator who created it. So my my memory's fuzzy. I I can't remember. Um, it uh it looks real pretty. I I. I I'm very curious, if anything, what it changes. You know, they, they've done Metal Gear Survive without uh, Kojima, and it was terrible. And I think that's maybe the main reason why they don't do a new Metal Gear right away. This seems like a, a toe in the water of, hey, we can treat this franchise with reverence and care. And you know, make a really good game in this new engine. And, and I'm curious what tweaks they're going to make to it, if any, and, and how that gameplay has maybe evolved when it came out. It was the template for future Metal Gears in many ways. And it brought a lot of new stuff to the franchise. Some of that was later abandoned, but the crafting, the eating, all of that stuff was kind of new to Metal Gear. And this this didn't show that. This was like, you know, in engine. Here's what the game looks like in engine. So I think it looks really pretty, but I think there's a lot left before um, you know, that hype train fully pulls out of the out of the swamp and <laughs> and into the station. Um yeah. Yeah, I we'll feel see. That. Um certainly uh we're kind of on the cusp, I think, of getting a bunch of real show pieces for Unreal Engine five. It's taken a minute, you know, taken a minute, but it I think we're we're about to get there. Uh, but Christian, what is uh, what are the the games, if any, in this partner preview that stuck out for you? Well, it's also out now in um, early access. And one, I feel like this partner preview was kind of like uh, <laughs> I mean, extended commercial for things you can get now. A little bit, but also I felt like it was studios like Microsoft being like studios we might acquire. <laughs> 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 it's like partner That's preview mm, do you like it? it's like speed dating is what it felt like it was just like, like trailer, how many trailer, likes trailer. does the youtube video get for each trailer yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like acquisition yeah. by likes 
<laughs> They're watching it analytics out, of. <laughs> turns out every uh, third party showcase has been that in the past. We just didn't yeah. know it at the mm-hmm. time, you know. Yeah, yeah, yes, indeed. But it's a game I talked about on this show months ago. It was on uh, maybe a limited beta or demo on PC, and now is out in early access wider. And it's the finals. And the reason I think it it's interesting to talk about is I think it showed very well. I think it's a very cool looking trailer, a very cool looking. If you hear that, my child is melting down uh, in, in, in the background of my house. shined a flashlight on them really intensely. <laughs> well, I needed to unlock the echo to see what was wrong. Um, and I think as this game goes wide, it is going to be a very interesting test case for a lot of these extraction games going forward. The finals isn't a pure extraction game in the way a lot are, but you are trying its teams. You're trying to get money and and then pull that money out into your bank. And it's doing a lot of the things that those games are doing. And this game is also by a new studio. It's a, you know, a group of X dice developers. So a team that certainly knows what they're doing, but it's going to be very interesting to see which of these survive as hyenas Sega's version of this was already canceled. And now the finals is continuing to march forward. And I'm curious if it will have any legs as it goes wider and, and more people can play it. The early access or the uh, open beta, I guess, is what it was out right now, um, Okay, is evidently crushing on Steam. So people are curious about it. It looked good. It, it was a really good showing during this presentation. I think the visual element of it and the sort of destructibility that they showed off in that trailer was very impressive. Uh, I'm not one that gravitates to these type of, uh, you know, arena multiplayer first person shooters. That's just not been my favorite genre, but. Um, I was even intrigued just because the visuals and the, I, I don't know, it looked very, it looked very fun the way that, you know, you shoot somebody and they explode into a bunch of coin, gold coins. Yeah. And you know, you know what it kind of cool. made me think is that the, um, I think the tagline is that it's supposed to be like a, uh, in the sort of, you know, in the world that it's in, it's like a combat entertainment game show. Yeah. Right. I will say that, um, you know, as you, as you scroll, if you, if you are like me and you are a, a hip happening teenager and you spend a lot of your time scrolling through TikTok, as I do, <laughs> um, uh, it seemed really designed for that streaming kind of crowd. It's like the live plays of these, you know, of watching, yeah. the, of watching the finals is, is so compelling. It's so fun to watch. It's almost like a game. It, it feels to me a little bit like Fortnite, like a game that's designed to be spectated. Yeah, and right. I think that's a really interesting kind of evolution in in the way that you know we're seeing games going. Um, yeah, I think that the, there's a dangerous uh, edge to that, right? Because that those type of games and i think we've seen that uh already if they don't catch on if they don't grab a, an audience then the the sort of foundational element is that there's gonna be a lot of people around and they're watching and we're excited and it's gonna and if that if it doesn't happen if it doesn't hit that critical mass they it can die off very fast because just the the, the fundamental gameplay experience is there's a lot of discussion about this the discussion is kind of part of it and so you really hope that those get an audience and kind yeah, of get it's like traction. when meta becomes the narrative right it's yes like, yeah. uh, but it looks I, cool i want to check i know out nothing about when the meta becomes the narrative <laughs> alan, pipe down alan pipe down i don't know alan um, explain one thing to me how do you make a, a flashlight go more explain that to me i have a flashlight there's no more button on the flashlight uh, what is that? It's an about? iPhone flashlight. It's actually, you don't really realize it's actually holding an iPhone and you're sliding it up and down, you know, on the little touch screen. <laughs> it's intensity. Intensity. Yeah. 
Get better more flashlights. Intense, more intense. <laughs> flashlights. George Lucas approach to flashlights. Regular Foster flashlights don't consume any battery if you just use your regular light. It's unlimited. Right. But if you right. want more, you gotta you gotta use some batteries. Push it real hard, then those batteries get used up real fast. Like <laughs> more, more light. Like appallingly fast, really. Let's Again, I don't know why we're spending time on this when it's so clear. So <laughs> um, I also I wanna... thought um I had a I had a chance briefly at um I was at Comic Con in London yesterday. I had a quick chance to play Robocop, which was showing there. Yeah. Which was um a lot of a lot of fun to play. Um I think has been an incredible like memeable game, I feel like this week. Yeah. The the Robocop memes have been. Did you see the um the bit of gameplay with the woman that comes in with the kid? Oh yeah, like, looking for like, the kid. Your kid is dead. Yeah. And she's like, help me, I'm trying, to my, I'm trying to look for my kid. And he just looks at his computer and tap, tap, tap. He's dead. <laughs> Case that's closed. A, that's Mission accomplished. <laughs> it's like Very the funny. easiest like uh, game yeah. store achievement. Yeah, that yeah, game I've... looks uh, like game continue, continues to look awesome. It's going to be here next week, so I mean, it's coming out fast. Um, a couple of other ones I've had my eye on uh, for a while: Dungeons of Hinterburg, which uh, I think looks very charming. It's kind of a uh, dungeon hack and slash third person. It's got that uh, that art style that's very in vogue right now that sort of sable uh roller drome you know thin line uh stark kind of animated look to it um and they showed off some <clears throat> some uh, social features of the game which i they hadn't really shown before i'm i'm i continue to be uh, curious about dungeons of hinterberg uh, i love how the the you know the very german developers came on and introduced the game it, it, it's very charming I, I look i'm looking forward to this one um and uh Ikara will not die uh looked pretty rad too this kind of uh very kinetic um third person 3d action experience that uh with sort of these like tracer lines of everything you're doing it's very neon very cool looking um i was uh i was into that as well and spirit of the north too looks beautiful as well uh anytime you get to play a little fox and a bird you know i'm in so some good stuff, I thought, with the Xbox Partner Preview. Uh, some things very, very soon, coming very, very soon, and some things much farther out, like Metal Gear Solid Delta. But um, uh, it's cool that Microsoft, you know, is doing this and says, hey, let's shine some sp- spotlight on some uh, some smaller games as well as these bigger third-party games. Uh, I hope they continue this Partner Preview um, template. Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Well, Will hinted at it uh, as Xbox News continues and this merger slash acquisition becomes finalized. We have the uh, Xbox leadership shuffle, you know, where everybody, they play the music, you walk around the chairs, and when the music stops, somehow, I know they previously announced it, but Bobby still has a chair. His, um, what, there's like super glue on his chair. He can't like, he stands up and walks around the group, the room and the chair is still on his butt. You know, it's like, what? This dude's name is Booty. He's going to be, he's going to be butt based. Well, yeah, Matt, Matt, Matt Booty definitely is also still there. But uh, uh, Bobby Kodak, I, I, I thought it was interesting. So we'll, we can go through the full uh, lineup shuffle, but I thought it was interesting that they had kind of previously announced that Bobby Kotick was going to be staying on through the end of the year, which heavily implied that at in 2024, he'd be gone. But then now they've done this leadership shuffle ahead of that. And he's still very much in the graphic. And it seems like, you know, a prominent part of it, but also pretty far down in terms of like, you know, where the, the hierarchy goes, which I think is interesting for someone who has run their own shop for so many years to now seemingly have so many people 
ahead of them, at least for this transition. But we had, I think the biggest kind of shuffle is Sarah Bond and Matt Booty. It appears as if, you know, received promotions and not just title changes and were elevated to, uh, what is it, president of content and studios and uh, what did what it was Sarah's change? Um, you have it I think here, just Mike. president. She's Xbox. She's Xbox president. Yes, and thank then, you. And then uh, Booty is president, president of Game Xbox, Content which does sound yeah. like something out of a futuristic, yeah. like Robocop novel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's exciting to see. I mean, we talked about it on last week's show, Jeff, when you weren't here. Kind of what the role of the executive, who's also the presenter. And yeah. how they kind of bring that forward. And we talked about how Phil Spencer has done a wonderful job of that, of, you know, we've seen the behind the scenes stuff, I'm sure, <laughs> you know, oopsie, uh, because of leaks, but then also his public persona. And it seems like that is the type of executive that is a real advocate for the platform, and also really good about talking about it. And Sarah Bond and Matt Booty appear to be the same, you know, have really been these public advocates for the brand in a way that um, harkens a real belief in what they're doing. And it seems as if also it's being rewarded internally for kind of this reorg and restructure. They talked about how um, Sarah Bond was a real important piece of having this acquisition completed. And I'm curious to see if we see any actual changes uh, to Xbox as we know it as players, or if this is kind of just, you know, we needed to move things around because we're a public company. We need to, we need to announce it all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of this, uh, specifically with booty's, um, role uh, was called out as being a, a way to further integrate the Bethesda arm of things into the larger Microsoft Xbox structure, uh, Zenimax, the Zenimax acquisition had sort of been this like parallel track. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of autonomy still allowed there. And, you know, you get a lot of this, you know, it's, it's, uh, Microsoft and Zenimax. It's, 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 you know, these Bethesda and Microsoft, these sort of larger, uh, two headed monster. Uh, and it seems like, um, maybe, you know, because of the failure of Redfall and Arcane's kind of stumble there, uh, there seems to be more of a impetus to uh, streamline that process and kind of create a a a, a, a less of a two headed monster and more of a uh, put a put a singular it's, it's vision. The sort of- uh, organizational chart equivalent of a sort of arm around the shoulder, like yeah, you yes, can still do yes. your own thing, but just come come here a little bit, child. Right. Come here, just a <clears throat> yeah. I also wonder if it was they have kind of wrapped on these quote unquote pre existing games. And so we we need to have a little tighter vertical integration as these new games are developed and what that process is going to be. I mean, Redfall originally was a PS5 game as well. Starfield was in development for a very long time. And so now as we're moving into this next iteration or this next generation of, of games coming out, if it's like, hey, we need to have processes in place yeah. that are our processes and you know keep abreast as to what's going on. Uh, and I'm curious if it works out. I hope it does. Fingers crossed. But uh, sometimes I think as a you get more and more vertical integration, your tower gets really tall. And that's when it starts to lean and then crumble. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, it's it's definitely going to be a time of change with this uh, huge acquisition. So we'll see how this if you know, this may not even be the final uh, reorg that we see in the next several months. Um, but I kind of want to stay on the uh, on the Bethesda tip. 
here with my story of the week because uh, I we got some an interesting comment that I'll pluck out to be story of the week. Uh, this is uh, Bethesda news that comes from a completely different source. Uh, over our friends over at MinMax had an awesome interview uh, with uh, Bruce Nesmith, who was formerly the lead designer on uh, on Skyrim and uh, has worked with Bethesda Studios, not just the publishing side, but Bethesda Studios. Uh, and he, um, some really interesting tidbits were dropped in this interview, including some speculation. Now, Nesmith is no longer there, so not exactly privy to the uh, most up-to-date information, I would assume. But um, he, he speaks about uh, Todd Howard's preference not to speak about games uh, very early. And I think... Uh, puts it into some interesting words that I want to hear your guys' re- reaction to. Uh, he says, uh, quote, Todd's opinion, which I share, by the way, is that the video games industry has short memories. Those companies that start touting their games years ahead of time, actually, you know, they screw themselves. The best time to start talking about it is six months before release. So only the fact that everybody was, you know, the pitchforks and torches were out was what got Todd to say, yes, we're going to do Elder Scrolls 6. I promise you it's for real. It'll happen. But I'm betting you won't hear much in the way of details until a good six months away before release, which is the way it should be. I think that's the best approach, and he's proven that works really well, at least for Bethesda. So, you know, this is something we've talked about a lot on this show. I think Christian and I are aligned that we, uh, you know, prefer that kind of thing. But, Will, I'm wondering what your position is. Uh, do you think um, hearing about games, you know, years out, knowing a game is coming at least, do you think that there is a benefit to that? Or do you like the six months out is the first time you hear whisper of it? I mean, I think I agree with uh, with Bruce's with Bruce's quote there, but for sort of the opposite reason. It's the fact that the video games industry has a really long memory. Like, we all remember <laughs> the stuff that you promised us four years ago when you announced <laughs> this game, and you thought it was going to be possible, and then you delivered it, and it's nothing like what you said it was going to be. If you, if you just talk about it in the six months up to release, you're much likelier to be talking about something that you've actually done, rather yeah. than the sort of thing you're planning on. I feel like, you know, the... The, the years ahead sort of expectation setting is is something that really you know did in the cyberpunks of the world and certainly you know it's done in redfall and other other titles and i think that actually yeah it's the long memories that that mean you need to be talking about this in a in a much much sort of tighter time frame i do yeah. you know i like I think six months is actually a little bit too short, or at least I want to know that a game is coming that year. I want to be able to sit down for my, like, you know, for the, for the DLC, like, predictions of the year and have a little bit of a clue as to what's coming out. Because otherwise you'd sit down in January and do, the, do that show and you'd be like, ah, oh, what's coming in July? No idea. It's more <laughs> than six months away. <laughs> right. um, so I think, you know, I like the idea that this summer I can be like, you know what? There's this three-week block of October that I need to, like, not do anything because spider-man is coming out or you know so i think i think you know definitely don't talk about it too much but give us the signposts right yeah no i think that's i think that's smart and i I think you make a great point about the uh expectation delivery you know it's 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 harder the way that game development works it's harder to know what your product is uh until it's closer to being finished you know and i think as you said we've seen time and time again the disappointment of you know it not really being exactly what we talked about two years ago and you you just avoid that but i i think the 
the other pertinent point from my perspective is there's this sort of like concentration of energy that happens when a game is first announced. And I think traditionally a lot of PR companies have thought, okay, well, we have these, these various peaks uh, of interest where you can like, well, we first announce it, you get the title. And then we get another peak when you show the, the, the first pre-rendered, you know, tone piece, the, the, the trailer that kind of just shows the idea of the game, but not actually any gameplay. But then we wait a few months and then we show off the gameplay, first gameplay trailer. And you get these like different peaks that are kind of bringing you down this road of anticipation. And for my money, I much prefer as an end user, uh, not in PR, and, and obviously they'll have data that I won't, but just my personal preference is like, just give me that one peak. And right as I'm about to come off the excitement peak, the game comes out and I'm in it. You know, like, I don't think there's anything better than that personally, but you know, creating these peaks and valleys and be like, Oh yeah, I remember that game. Oh, that was cool. I remember when they announced it, where, where's that beyond good and evil too. I sure hope it's still coming. You know, that stuff. I don't know. It doesn't, I don't think it's effective marketing, but maybe I could be wrong. Christian, what are your reaction to uh, Nesmith's? Uh, I mean, obviously we've seen a track record. We can look at a track record from Bethesda and Todd Howard. You know, we they did it with uh, Fallout 4. You know, they did it with Fallout 76. They tried to do it with Starfield. Just didn't work too well. Um, you know, oftentimes these still these delays still happen, but it does seem like they're trying to to kind of do that template. Yeah, I, I I wonder, and I also wonder how this links back to our previous story about how much uh, Todd Howard is going to be able to control when that happens. Indiana Jones was definitely announced more than six months before it's going to come out. Oh, yeah. And uh, one, I also want to step back a little bit and say, I thought this was a great interview. I know you already shouted them out, but Min Max, they do a lot of great stuff, and they have some really awesome interviews, and this is just another example of it. And I also love that we're in the era where devs are allowed to speak a little more freely even though they're not well, on the current project. I think but, that's the key fact, but yeah. But even before, you didn't have a lot of that. You did yeah. not have a lot of that. Um, and I like that we're seeing we're seeing more of it. In regard to this announcement cycle, I'm curious, Will and Jeff, uh, your thoughts on whether it's not necessarily marketing as much as it is um, best summed up is available to pre-order now. And we need your support to get it across the finish line mm. and it will be available in bookstores a year from now. And I know that's a different model. And I certainly have used that model before successfully. And there's a lot of folks who who do that. But I wonder to what extent it's uh, we're making a new skate. And based on the LinkedIn uh, job posts I see constantly, they still need to hire a lot of people for that. <laughs> and I wonder yeah. to what extent it's not my book will be in bookstores in a year. Get excited. It's we're making this cool franchise. If you're unhappy at your current job, <laughs> you know, come to us. I'm curious, Will, like from the business side of things, to what extent this is maybe not marketing, but a necessity for a public company or a company that's trying to, uh, even if they're not public, get more um, investor money, <laughs> you know, and kind of prove their worth yeah. in the, I mean, in the public well, arena. Before you go, before you, I just want to say that, you know, the level of shininess of the puddle, puzzle, uh, puddles in best summed up 
not representative of the final book. <laughs> oh my word! You made me remember Spider-Man: Puddlegate. That is like there is five there is ray tracing ago. in the book though. If oh, you tons turn of ray tracing. You can tons see ray tracing all over the place. of the other yeah. page. Just it's beautiful. take the book into different rooms and see. <laughs> you know what? You thought you thought you were getting limericks. They're actually haikus, which is which is a crazy <laughs> twist. Crazy twist from the production team. Um, I mean, I think it's interesting. You know, there are certain. Um, there are certain necessities that particularly public companies have to do, right? Which is if you're going to release a killer game in the next fiscal year, you have to say something about that in your projections. You can't just go like, oh, we think we're going to make this money for right. reasons. We, I guess know, Capcom you have to- right now has been saying something, version of that. We still, we have a multi-million seller. We expect to, and we expect it still to come out. I think it's like before March, 2024, but they haven't announced the game, but they're doing that. Like, just as you mentioned, the that little hand walk of- yeah. <laughs> yeah, of what to do. So so to a degree you do have to say it. I mean a lot of it is is um is pitched around for sure, you know. Uh, uh, we t- we tend to think about um you know pre-orders as being in terms of like okay, a pre-order helps a game get to number 1, which is which is great for the week of release. Actually what a pre-order does is is help you go to Steam, right? Go to go to the guys there and say you know what, you should put this on the front page of the day of release because it's already got this amount of hype. And this amount of hype means it's definitely going to sell this number of units. And if you put it on the front page, it means you can sell this number of units and we'll give you an uptick on... You know, you, you have to have a calendar of stuff to pre-sell. You know, in the old days, it used to be two retailers. It's like, hey, GameStop, give me a window. You know, yeah. um, we've got X number of pre-orders that we can send you away. Um, these days, it's give me your, ver- your, your digital window. Um, but it's still definitely there. In terms of does it help with with hiring? I mean, I <laughs> I guess, but I feel like um, given the amount of given the I mean, it's slightly dark to say that given the amount of layoffs in the games industry, is anybody really hunting for talent that hard right now? It's like yeah, it seems like yeah. if you need talent, it's going to be out there to get. But um, it's you know, it's it's definitely uh, it definitely seems to be to be marketing driven um, still at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I hope more companies uh, take that to heart. And I think as we see the, the constant hits that, that companies get about, you know, putting their flag in the sand with a release date and having to shuffle, inevitably shuffle that release date, maybe we'll see uh, Todd Howard's preference, you know, take hold more. Well, that's an interesting point, Jeff, which is that the one thing we haven't quite seen yet, I don't think, is the same kind of... Um, sort of flag in the sand that you get with movies, which is, yeah. you know, Disney says, you know what, we've got a flagship Star Wars movie coming in December, the second week of December. And everybody else goes, ah, okay, maybe we'll shuffle forward to like the last week of November or shuffle, you know, to avoid yeah. being in the cinemas at the same time, right. um, to avoid an era of what you might call too many movies. Um, <laughs> and it seems like in the uh, in the in the gaming era, we have still not gotten to the point where you can't have more than one absolute mega buster. You yeah, know, come out into come out in the same week and end up with a um, with a situation where you've got in a situation where you've got. Hang on. In a situation for the where, bumper, you, Jeff. where you might have, he's, he's trying to cue you. <laughs> yeah, there it is. nailed yeah. it. <laughs> nailed it it was perfection with a with a spooky oh, like we were dancing it was just so <laughs> seamless and perfect i feel like jeff for a second you were like did did will glitch did we lose that i did, did hear we, that i was like did was we a, uh, oh did we lose the internet or uh, oh no we lost me too smooth me. too smooth <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you know, I think a lot of that is is because of obviously because the you know the realities of making games is much more difficult than uh, the the last bit of a game development a lot different than the last bit of a movie's development and things get wackier. But you're right. I don't understand why we have a situation where you know Mario Wonder comes out on the same day as um, Spider Man Two. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. That, that yeah, but but here we are. You know, that's the, a, a constant in the games industry these days. So, and it doesn't seem to have hurt either of those games. <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> you know. Um, speaking of uh, games, let's get into it and talk about the games we've been playing because there are a lot of them. So let's jump right in to the playlist. Let's talk a little bit about that Super Mario Wonder because uh, I wasn't here last week to 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 gush about it. I uh, I have been playing a lot of it, almost entirely uh, co-op with my seven-year-old who is a Mario fanatic. But Will, I know you've been playing Mario Wonder as well uh what are your feelings about it so yeah i don't have a a seven-year-old that's a mario fanatic but i do have a (laughs) something year old who (laughs) who is also a big fan of it and she and i have been have been playing a lot of mario wonder you know what it's been it's been an interesting little it's been an interesting kind of insight for me um seeing kind of like my 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 partner is not a, a regular gamer so to speak but she is is sort of aware enough of this stuff, partly through me and partly through you know the world that we live in. And she sort of came to me a few weeks ago and said, "Hey, have you seen this? This is new Mario game coming out. It kind of looks crazy. Like Mario is like an elephant." And I was like, <laughs> "Ah, okay, yeah, okay. So that's it. So yeah, it's coming out. It's not out yet. Do you know what? We could play a little bit. Have you played any Mario games? No, not really. Okay, well we can play a little bit of New Super Mario. So we sat and we kind of played through New New Super Mario U. I want to say is the is the, yeah. is the latest is the older Switch one, right? So we kind of came through that, good fun. And then you sit down to play Mario Wonder and you're like, what the heck is going on? I mean, I know (laughs) I'm not going to say anything that, you know, we kind of didn't say last week, but it is so, so creative, so weird, so totally out there. I mean, I don't know what kind of psychedelics are legal in Japan that aren't (laughs) legal over here, but whatever they are, like, I I want them. Because the second (laughs) you just sort of sit down and you get that first like elephant head power up and you're like oh what the what the heck is going on um all the way through to you know it i think the thing that it feels particularly playing it back to back kind of with new super mario which feels new super mario feels like the most mario 2d game that could sort of most mario it was like the sort of peak <laughs> of that form right and you kind of did think i suddenly was thinking like okay so where is this actually going to go like how do you improve on it and the way you improve on it is kind of by loosening it up it's like it feels Mario Wonder feels to me to be a little bit easier. It's a, certainly a little more straightforward to get into. Um, it's creative. It's weird. The first time you get a, a Wonder Seed and you are kind of thrown into the alternate version of the level, you're thinking this is crazy. Even the fact that the I don't know if it's the first time in a Mario game that like when you're on the map, you can just free roam around the map. Yeah, you can just walk around. You're not following the little paths, and it's like okay, that feels, that sort of feels sort of like a a metaphor for the whole thing, which is like Mario, but looser and a little bit crazier. And you sort of end up, you know, these roller derbies and all kinds of crazy, like mini games, as opposed to just the little sort of toad shell collect things. Um, It's, it's a fascinating, um, 
it's a fascinating game to play. And I think the, the couple of, 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 of um, things that sort of, that you see are really interesting kind of interpretations of things you see in other games, the little standees, that allow yeah. you to res other people, like the sort of death strand. Like, it's like Mario meets Death Stranding, right? Yeah, it's like play yeah. uh, play your online or play your online Mario Dark Souls. As, as yeah, other- yeah, um, yeah. Was it um, the the game that you could play recently, where it's like people were dropping in and helping you beat somebody else? Not Dark Souls, yeah, yeah. Uh, the new one. Why is that? Yeah, Elden Ring. Ring. Elder, yeah. Elden Ring. Elden Ring. Yeah. Um, it felt very like Elden Ring esque, and I've seen some amazing like Twitch streams and, and TikTok streams of people like playing together, and that that kind of dynamic is really cool to watch. Yeah. It's you know, it does feel kind of like the last bastion of couch co op, almost right. We've had some good couch co op stuff in the last. You know, Switch is particularly good at this, right? Um, and we can go into some of those, but it's it it's a really good game to sit down and play with somebody else, which feels pretty rare these days. Yeah, I I um I've been playing a lot of Mario Wonder lately, and I am inclined to get real hyperbolic because as somebody who has been steeped in Super Mario for the last two to three years with my son just getting very, very invested in it and playing oh, only five minutes. You only want to steep for five minutes, Max, then take it out. Yeah. This is the sous vide then... of Mario. <laughs> sous vide <laughs> of Mario Brothers. Uh, <laughs> wow, sous vide Mario Brothers is really a Halloween title, isn't it? <laughs> we cooked them and we resurrected them. <laughs> That's right. You don't Enjoy feel like your Mario me. Looks like Mario's back on the menu, boys. Uh, um, you, uh, so I, yes, I've, I've definitely uh, had like a sort of a concentrated revisit to a lot of the Mario franchise over the last, you know, few years, just because my son has reinvented it or uh, rediscovered it, and I have, you know, pulled games out that I hadn't played in a long time, and you know, I was never one of the people that fell in love with Odyssey and the sort of reinvention of the 3D Mario. I know a lot of people, um, that's their favorite Mario. And it's, it is, I, I recognize its ingenuity on a number of levels. And my son played the living heck out of that and Bowser's Fury. Um, and so I, play, I, I played a lot of it uh, fairly recently or watched someone play a lot of it fairly recently as well. <laughs> on, on Twitch? T- where did you yeah, watch? Yeah, uh... I mean, there was, there was part of me twitching at, at, at certain times when it was like, did you clean your room yet? No. Um, but I, those, the 3D Mario, even, even recognizing how well executed it is, was never my favorite Mario. My favorite Mario of all time traditionally has been Super Mario World and the old, you know, SNES pack-in game. And I'm inclined to say... Super Mario Wonder might be my new favorite Mario of all time. It is extraordinary, extraordinary. And we talked at length as it was being announced about how, what do you do when you make, give somebody a toolkit to make any Mario 2d Mario game they can possibly dream up? Well, you've just, you've just made your franchise obsolete because you just did just that make whatever. Yeah. You just, whatever you, you know, Mario maker means there's no need for any more 2d Mario's. I guess we don't get them. Oh, what's the solution? Completely reinvent the wheel, completely infuse it with so many new ideas, so much new stuff. Like 
the level of invention, pure, pure mechanical invention inside this game boggles my mind. There are levels where my son and I will finish it and I will turn to him and be like, he'll say to me, daddy, that was so much fun. And I'll be like, you know what? Yes, that was one of the most fun things. And I've never done it in a Mario game. I've never done anything like that. And I'm talking before we even touch the wonder flower, right? Just the pure baseline, what the level is doing is so new, new enemies, new ways to interact, not just new suits. The new suits are awesome. The bubble suit's amazing. The elephant suit is a, a, a blast and the, the way it, it the it's animated and how you get down a, a pipe when you're an elephant and all that stuff is just a joy but even aside from all that just the pure things that i am doing inside the level and then you touch a wonder flower and it is like just an explosion of ideas i did not realize going into the game I thought the wonder flower was going to work like a fireball flower or another power up that it was going to do one of a handful of things to a level. You would touch it and you know, things would get giant or weird. I did not realize that they are bespoke to each level that each, every single level has its wonder flower chaos that changes that it does something and the fact that they come up with new and delightful things to have happen that you're turned into a top-down game or it goes all, you know, shadowy and you're elongated and weird or you turn into a big square box or, I mean, the, the like, you're just catapulted in the air or you're jumping and you're turned into a giant version of a bad guy. or Like, like it never stops being surprising fun exhilarating it, i i i am bowled over by the amount of stuff jammed into this game and on top of all that it's gorgeous the most beautiful version of mario ever and i include the movie in that this is way prettier than the movie in my opinion the art design the 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 tiny little animations the way all the different characters are a little bit different from each other. The constant backgrounds, the overworld map, which is the most attractive overworld map they've ever done. In my opinion, everything is a home run. Honestly, my only gripe about this game, and it comes because I've been playing exclusively in co-op. I literally have not played a single level of Mario wonder by myself yet because I can't because of like the sound comes on and my son comes running in the room. Um, they still haven't nailed that. I, I think it's a huge improvement over the new Super Mario Brothers use of the world and, and all those, you know, the recent multiplayer games where it's just chaos. You're bouncing off of each other and knocking people into things and preventing, picking your friend up and throwing them and all the, all the junk that is wacky and fun for a little while, but then also becomes frustrating. This is an, an improvement, but it's not perfected. There are still way too many times, and I'm curious, well, if you've had this experience or it's just a seven-year-old, there are way too many times that we have screen deaths, you know, where somebody just gets excited and goes forward and the, and the game decides, oh, you're the one I'm following, and the other person gets left in the dust and dies. 
I mean, without throwing too much shade, I'm pretty sure my girlfriend is not as good as your seven-year-old at Super Mario. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's definitely a complaint that we've that we've it, had. It's there's never a time where that experience is fun, and and it happens far too frequently, even unintentionally. I mean, there and are you sort times- of feel like there is. They make so many other decisions that are just like you know sort of screw what should happen make the most fun decision that actually for that to be such a constant source of frustration that comes up all the time is such a weird it's sort of a yeah. weird overlook right it is and and i you know obviously this is a, it's a tougher problem to solve right because you have only so much screen real estate and you have these big levels and well, you don't want to restrict to people bounce someone in right it's like if they fall off the screen bounce them in i i i like the idea of and i think there's some games that have done this where you sort of just like if you get too far away it kind of like does picture in picture you yeah. know or it splits the screen into two windows or something and then when you get back it reunites everything i don't know i don't know what the perfect solution is but i can tell you that it is not fun to like be Tell, yelling at your seven year old, slow down, slow down, slow down. Oh, go back. Can we go back? I want we let's try to get the, like that. Not is not a it's it, it's still not perfect. That said, it's a very relatively minor gripe to what is, I think, one of the best made platformers of all time. To say it's my favorite Mario is not a small thing to say. These are, you know, this is a, a franchise that has some of the greatest installments ever, and I just can't. I, can't, I have a hard time wrapping my head around how many new ideas are in this thing. Uh, I mean, I love Mario Galaxy and Mario Galaxy 2. They're two of my favorites as well for that same reason, that it just felt like the game was constantly reinventing itself and coming up with new wild things. And this game does that. It is, And, and it is always this intensely fun experience. There's a, a moment in like the second level you play where you touch the the uh wonder flower and all of the um piranha plants start doing this choreographed dance number and i in that moment i was like we talk about nintendo being the disney of video games and i feel like with this game they have fully arrived there the the look the feel the animation style the way that game makes you feel it is the way the best Disney kids experience make you feel where it's like, it's welcoming to kids and adults. It's beautiful and pure and joyous and positive. I just have, I, I expected to like Mario wonder. I did not expect to be absolutely bowled over by it. I think it's one of the greatest achievements in platforming I've ever played. And there's so much to it. Um, there's a lot of levels that are really challenging. It, it does a great job of, of letting you decide your challenge level. The sort of economy of the game is really well balanced. I mean, it's just an extraordinary game. Extraordinary. Well, I will go a step further, Jeff, and say, uh, I mean, maybe not for our end of the year discussion, but I implore you to lock yourself in your basement where your son can't hear you and play it solo. Um, since last week, I've played a lot more solo and also a lot more co-op with my family. And I do not think it's an understatement to say it is a vastly inferior experience in co-op. And we still mm-hmm. had fun playing in co-op and it is still 
you know, mind blowing how incredible the game is. But having spent more time both ways now, I feel like a lot of what this game unlocks in terms of its evolution of the Mario franchise with getting rid of the timer. So you're allowed to explore every level and you don't feel rushed and you're not rerunning it to find the secrets. When you're playing in co-op, it requires this implicit or or maybe sometimes not highly agreement i think is the explicit laden yeah yeah to uh negotiate exploration that isn't necessarily fun for both people at the same time and so it's kind of this if you're not both into it it's maybe not rewarding and some of that exploration creates those screen deaths that you're talking about where it's like oh there's a thing up here okay, we need to pull off this somewhat difficult wall jump to bubble bounce is the way that I've been able to get up there the easiest. Okay, why don't you jump on my back because I'm playing as Yoshi and we can kind of do this. And I don't think it's as fun. Maybe some people love that prisoner's dilemma you know, approach to being locked in a level with somebody and trying to find a way to navigate through it. Still fun. I still enjoy playing with my family. But I think as a game, many of its ideas, eh, I'm going to retract that. All of its ideas are best served playing alone. I don't think there's any idea in the game that is made better by having someone else on screen with you unless you're trying to say, oh, this is just a mode that allows a better gamer to help a less experienced gamer through a level. Then as like a help way, I think that's that's cool and that's interesting. But as a core gameplay mechanic, I don't think adding more players to the screen makes anything about the experience better and played alone. I mean, the, the, the level design is just top tier, top to bottom and being able to spend time in that world without worrying about what your co-op partner is going to be doing. Um, I think elevates the experience in, in every single way. I'm not saying don't play at co-op, but if you don't have to don't play a co-op. I'm going to push back (laughs) slightly on that just because if this was a game like, uh, Odyssey, where to play with my son, we'd have to hand the controller back and forth to each other. I would not be enjoying it as much. I, I feel you on mechanically, and there's definitely I – I, I've certainly felt that and gone. <clears throat> but he is a very, very competent player um, mechanically. And we get into the situation where you know there are those awesome uh, levels, the, the question mark levels where – it's it literally is just a puzzle like f- find the six you know badge thingies in the in the in the environment somewhere they're hidden and we have so much fun figuring that out together and jumping around I, we have so much fun where he's like oh i want to get one of the 10 you know the 10 purple thingies that are hard to get to and then he pulls it off and i i didn't and we're having this kind of competitive you know we're just stopping on a level trying to get to it and he did it and i didn't and uh, that experience of playing it together is something I'm going to cherish f- for my entire life. And I'm grateful that we could do it. I don't think it's perfect. And I totally feel you on the, it's not the prime way to experience the genius of this game, but I am so grateful it's there because I don't think it, I don't I would not be having as much fun if we had to pass the controller back and forth or if I had to just watch him for large swaths of time. Uh and he, he oh, no, no, I'm me. suggesting you steal it from him, hide yourself <laughs> and play it by yourself. Oh, I'm gonna do don't. that. I'm gonna do that. Like, Definitely yes, do that. Family and proud, you know, parent moments or partner moments with gaming. I think this game does shine in that regard. But I think 
there are, are moments in the game that allow for exploration and like having those solo moments that in my opinion are, are elevated above aside from like oh you know yes i have and love I think, for my family and what a wonderful experience is to share my ha- my hobby and with i them. think to, to both your points really this game is really interesting because in in some senses it feels like a reaction to super mario maker it's like there is no you know and a lot of the criticism that i've seen leveled at it online has been like it's too easy it's you know it's too much you know it's not very inventive in a sort of storyline sense and you go well you know there's no real sense in trying to make harder regular mario levels anymore because all the regular hard mario levels that could ever exist have already been made in super mario maker modded <laughs> roms it's like you know you can you can watch endless streams of people doing the most insane mario runs so there's kind of this element of like why maybe we're moving into a new phase of mario where it's just like you know what the way to go forward is more creative and let the hardcore people play their hardcore stuff this is about being disney right and i yeah, think that's yeah it's a really interesting way of um of looking at it it's a you know it's it's just so the other thing that i th- i mean i think there's one one criticism that i would have is that it's just i mean it is the same story right and i know we're not playing mario for the story but it's like right. oh bowser took over a castle and then there's a little well, he like he is bowser. a castle will oh, he that's is com- a castle He's not, that's com- we're rewriting different. the entire storyline <laughs> up is down left is right yeah it's a um and it also felt like a do you know what and this is gonna sound um completely um or throw it was completely sacrilegious to say i kind of wanted the voices from the movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was like i could have really done with jack black being the castle right i mean that would have been cool i I will admit jack black would have been cool i don't know about uh the chris but you know not so uh, good on the chris pratt huh <laughs> yeah I, I i'm so blown away by how it looks it's so beautiful and so, so many subtle little animation things that happen and um yeah it, and i love the badge system excuse me the badge system with um you know being able to choose a a a game breaking you know rule breaking uh thing to bring into a level it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Like, I, you know, I love the the one where you, you know, you bounce off of a bottomless pit, you know, if, if you, if you need to like the way, you know, the, the, the parachute, the, the vertical wall jump, like so many things we, we have so much fun deciding which one we're going to bring into the level with us. It, it just does so many things, right? I am, I'm impressed. It's, it's a blast. Uh, but Will, what else is on your playlist? So I want to let you guys get to get to the the Alan Wake of it all, um, but I do just want to say that I spent the past two or three weeks um, really simul- I mean, in the in the era of uh, of too many games, we I have been playing simultaneously um, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven uh, V two point the new mm-hmm. patch on PS five, and um, the new Spider Man, um, and playing them side by side like just alternating like one evening i'm gonna play one and one evening i'm gonna play the other um has really made me look at like look at them in a slightly different way it's like you see the similarities and the differences and i just wanted to share with you i made a little um a little top a little top five or six list of things that are like that 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 track between the two i love um so the first point is that nothing else looks like these games cyberpunk mm. is such a distinct aesthetic it's such a unique way of um of looking at the world in the same way nothing has the scale of 
um new york in spider-man you know the ability to it's it's so it's got its own unique style and i mean um sure new peter parker is is awful compared to old peter parker on the on the old game um he looks weirdly like austin reeves which i find particularly <laughs> distracting especially given this game introduces you to basketball um and and miles looks too much like killmonger like that haircut in the first thing is just like all um all killmonger but they're both games that look completely unique there's nothing else out on the systems that look like them um so that's sort of an upside downside both games have got upgrade systems that are so dense they are overwhelming. Mm. I mean, Cyberpunk 2077 has got what? Like three different skill trees for each of your sort of eight different body parts combined <laughs> with a shard system, combined with a weapons upgrade system. And it's, 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 so, it's sort of distracting. It's so totally overwhelming. At the same time, Spider-Man has at least only got you know, you think, oh, Spider-Man's just got one skill tree. Well, now it's, it's sort of three skill trees. Okay, and you go, okay, one to three, that's fine. Well, now it's three skill trees across two different characters who have each got their own distinct skill, skill trees. And right. each one's got different mods, and each one's got different unlocks and power-ups. And you're like, god damn, there is, there is too much. <laughs> there is too much to be... And you find yourself like, you know... I find myself going back into the menu just to remember what I have on each character. And it's like, I mean, I get it if I was playing some sort of deep action RPG or something. Like, if I was playing Elder Scrolls, I expect to have to manage my inventory. I don't expect to have to manage my inventory in Spider-Man. Right. And yet somehow, <laughs> here I am doing it. Um, both, I think, use the PS5 controller in really epic ways. And it's something that hasn't gotten like a lot of pickup. But the the transitions in Cyberpunk where you get the sort of whooshes coming over the speaker, the crowd noise, the the phone calls that come through, it's a, it's that PS5 controller does not get enough love for being super duper duper immersive. And the same is mm. true in Spider Man. Um, the sort of way you can swipe around the touchpad and to sort of navigate your mobile phone, sorry, cell phone, is uh, is really is really neat. Um, and then. Both are really like weirdly into the copaganda. The sort of like every yeah. cop is like completely unproblematic, and you're just like, okay, well, we sort of it sort of feels weird. This spider, this cyberpunk. I was going to say spiderpunk. That's a, that's a Why'd different. In, in cyberpunk, the cops are all problematic. Like it takes. <laughs> it's like the other end of that. Like that, the, the whole other world is all problematic. There is nothing <laughs> yeah. non problematic in that world it's, there's, there's a, no yeah. good human in cyberpunk no. there's a mission at the beginning that's just like oh can you help can you help out our friend he's a cop he's he's had a really hard time he's one of the good guys and you're like okay cool um <laughs> yeah new, new york police is presented as sort of completely unproblematic in spider-man you're like okay i guess i'm fine with that um both i i would say having started both in the last three weeks both spend the first five to six hours hand-holding you through what feels like a sort of interactive novel rather than letting you play the game and this is really where it came up against like super mario wonder which is i so i played cyberpunk cyberpunk is like it's three or four hours of gameplay before you even get to keanu reeves like spoilers (laughs) but before you even really get to play a mission of your own choice you're probably like four to five hours in before the first bit of story finally stops and goes like hey go and occupy yourself for an hour or something before while you're waiting for someone to call you back and it's quite i mean it's intense it's a lot to have to like you know you sort of want to get into a game when you don't get too much time to play um as like you know i can maybe squeeze in like half an hour to an hour a night maybe 
with the occasional binge. It's like, you just don't feel like you're ever getting anywhere. Spider-Man, I counted, it got so bad. The number of cutscenes at the beginning of Spider-Man to introduce you to all the new mechanics, all the new characters, all the new places you can go, all the new things. It's like, out of the first five hours of gameplay, I think I actually played maybe an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. There is so much hand-holding that it just feels... Um, it's really intense. And then I think, lastly, um, both, pla- both, both games are possibly better in Netflix form. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, just I, tell I me just the story. Really, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the Into the Spider-Verse stuff is obviously like so transcendent. And it's obviously a lot of the inspiration for this game, right? The success of Spider-Verse. Um, I, I really enjoyed that franchise. Obviously, Cyberpunk Edge Runners, which is the Netflix anime series that they brought out a couple of years ago, is possibly peak cyberpunk. Hmm. It is possibly a better version of the story. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoy playing it. But the the fact that they are so story-driven as games, they, you, you feel a little bit like being led through an interactive novel. And then you just sort of go, well, maybe I'd just rather sit back and, and watch it. As it unfolds, you know, there's certainly yeah. an argument for that. I I feel that I, I I can understand that. I mean, I think the the combat in in Spider Man and in Cyberpunk uh, is inherently fun, just moment to moment. Um, but I I get it. You know, there's there are sequences there are sequences where it's like I don't want to be playing through this dream sequence. I don't. Mm. There's nothing fun about this dream sequence. And now you've decided and you need to throw a bunch of enemies at me because that's what video games do. But like, there's nothing about this dream sequence that needed enemies in it. You know, you're trying, you're trying to convey a story beat and you're forced to do it in the context of a video game. So I need to be able to beat up a bunch of stuff while I'm listening to the actual story beat. It's like, I get it. I get that's what we do. Cause we're a video game, but also you just wanted to convey this bit of backstory and like emotional catharsis with our character. I didn't need to beat up the, the ghosty dreamy people, you know, I didn't like, need to a- crawl around my high school looking for an old thumb drive in, in order to <laughs> right. get the point that you wanted me to realize I'd gone to high school with this other guy. Like, <laughs> right. Sheesh kebab. It was as bad as the, uh, those Mary Jane missions in the first one. You're just like, Oh God, get me out of here. Well, there's, Hold on to your hat. There's Mary Jane. Oh coming up. no! no. <laughs> uh, Christian, that, any, was, uh... that was really. I just wanted to say, by contrast, you know, on that last point, I was really excited to just fire up Super Mario Wonder, and I was playing the game within three yeah. minutes, and I right. was just like, "Oh, thank goodness, there's still actually some gaming to be had." I think it's a fair point, and I think you made five excellent uh, comparisons, and I I appreciate you for do- doing that. That was really cool, Christian. Do you have any feedback or uh, response to any of that? Uh, high level, I think I would say, Will, if you just want the story and you're playing Spider-Man on an easier difficulty, which I'm all in favor of, I am team play easy. You know, I, I, I preach that frequently on this show and have over the years pretty much consistently. But I think if you're going to play Spider-Man at an easier difficulty, don't worry about the upgrades. Just go in and pick one. It truly doesn't matter. If you're going to play, like, don't let analysis paralysis stop you there. Just go in, spend your points, or don't. You kind of don't even need to, you know, if you're just playing on an easier difficulty and you kind of want, just give me the story kind of approach. I think where that stuff becomes important is when you play at the harder difficulties. And I think I played at the middle harder one, whatever that is. Not a 
brag or humble brag. I enjoy, and I've talked about this as well over the years, that Arkham style combat. I enjoy that puzzle of the dodge, the thing, the thing, the thing. And then in that way, I was a little more selective to my upgrades because I felt like I had a certain play style where I, if possible, would try to rarely touch the ground. And so I wanted stuff that would give me air juggles, launch enemies into the air. So I prioritized those versus the others. But I also think that Spider-Man does a really good job of giving you all the powers pretty quickly, um, at least in how I played through it. And it was kind of like, hey, there you go. Go, you know, go run amok. Um, And for Cyberpunk, I mean, I I totally agree with you as someone who also has a hard time carving out like I'm going to sit and play for four hours. But I think that's a me problem and not the game's problem necessarily. I think the game is trying to deliver this world that it wants you to fully immerse yourself in and you know so it it spends time uh, creating the world that you can live in and that you can walk in and and that you can breathe in that you can be fully a part of and so to do that it needs to set up uh the premiere of game of thrones which ultimately means very little to season five you know like yeah you see some stuff in episode one of game of thrones that is important but a lot of it is tonal a lot of it is creating the world and no one is safe and these characters are awful, but there's not like the meat and potatoes of the story there yet. And I think these big narrative games are, do that as well. And so it's how do you walk that line of being an interactive experience, but also a world that we want you to, you know, roll around in and lather yourself in its essence. Um, and I think oftentimes that does require more than 30 minutes Whereas a game like Super Mario Wonder is like, you got five minutes, that's perfect. You know, you got 30 minutes, great. You got two hours, you're going to love it. You got 30 seconds, you can still have fun. Yeah. And it's just trying to do different things, I think. And I think the, um, I think the other thing about, um, about Spider-Man that I find particularly resentful was like, at least in the opening sequences, it's like, man, why are you making me tidy a house that's filled with like my dead relative stuff and worry about yeah. my overpriced mortgage in Manhattan. It's like, I kind of do that stuff already. <laughs> like, <that laughs> of, like Peter's walking in around the house and he's like, you know, I've got no money. I've just been fired from my job. And he, you, you have to like pick up his mortgage deeds at one point, like his repayment from the bank. And it's like, my guy, you've got a $5,000 mortgage at 7% in the middle of Manhattan and you're unemployed <laughs> stroke, a freelance photographer. Like, <laughs> like your money troubles could not be more unrelatable or too relatable <laughs> right it's like i don't need that from my spider-man <laughs> i love it i do think that that game in particular has a mini game problem like it's just like it wants to give you little things to do all the time oh, the sort of you know solve solve a scientific problem with this little bit of stick juggling what or yeah or like hey look there's a basketball hoop here's a basketball mini game it's like i don't care about i don't need you guys (laughs) did you guys find the one when you're looking through the house that said uh you should probably be helping your daughter with their math homework right now instead of playing this video game. I saw that and I was like, this is transcendent. Too true. Do you remember how to multiply fractions and create a common denominator and cross multiply? I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Can you can you do it? This is a genuine one that actually came up for me the other day, which is can anybody here still do long division? 
Cyclone only because I've had to relearn it. Only because you've done it. (laughs) (laughs) But I was was just really waiting. Yeah, math homework Peter Parker is definitely, I mean, that's definitely coming for the Miles segment, right? (laughs) (laughs) But not to be be too down on either of those games. They're they're both great. They've both been great, great, great fun. It's It's just sort of just amusing to kind of see the ways in which they've gone. But it feels like we're burying... Yes, let's get to, a let's get bit to of a, uh, yeah. Alan Wake 2. Uh, Christian, you not only have played it, you have become it. Uh, look look at you. You are uh, fully Alan Waked. You have, you, what, can we say woke? Is Nobody's using that term, right? So you're Alan Woke? <laughs> <laughs> I woke up as Alan Wake. Yes. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, tell me what you think of Alan Wake 2 as, as I think, Remedy super fan at this point. I think you are to Remedy... As what I am to Larian, I don't know. What, what do we think? You you are a Remedy super fan. So I, I want to start by saying uh, we have partnered with Nvidia for Alan Wake Two. We are going to be doing some very cool uh, bonus content coming up here later this week with folks from Nvidia talking about the tech. If you are not a patron, uh, we're going to be posting it there first. We're going to be doing getting audience questions to. Make that conversation better and stuff that you all want to talk about with DLSS 3.5 and the path tracing and reflex and all of the cool tech that is in the PC version of this game. So feel free to discredit my opinions as someone who planned to be Alan Wake uh, six months ago for Halloween and hasn't shut up talking about control. If you want to discount my opinions because we've partnered with NVIDIA for coverage of of this game, I understand. That's fine. I will not I will not hold it against you. But that is important for for me to say at the outset. Um, we were also provided codes for this game and, um, blah, 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 all that stuff, all those disclosures with those out of the way, I think, and God, I'm, I'm glad I think this cause I would feel really bad crapping on this game. I think the way Alan I Wake right is the most goofy looking character <laughs> of all time. <laughs> <laughs> like just absolute. Um, I think Alan Wake two is one of the finest interactive experiences ever created. I think it is a triumph of a video game, which I know I know I can't make fetch happen uh, in terms of a, a new term, but I really would love to call video games interactives or something else that elevates the platform a little bit. I think gaming just anyway, it has a whole thing, but I think it is, it, it truly represents what a video game can be by being an interactive story, an interactive narrative. I think it elevates what games are and why I find them so special over watching something on Netflix or going to the movies. And I love film. I love TV. I I love that type of media experience. But I've talked about, I think I talked about it a lot on the Last of Us podcast, and I'm sure on this show over the years as well, but how much I enjoy what interactivity brings to a story. What making me as snake crawl through that radioactive tunnel does to elevate that experience and what making me choose to open the door and resident evil brings to that horror experience. I can't just yell like, don't open it, Claire, don't open it. Like I have to do it as that character. Right. And I think so much of that is shown in Alan Wake too. And the way that remedy is able to tell this story cross media all within a game, their use of live action, not in a cheesy, uh, you know, um, what were those like um, 
full Night motion Switch. video. Yeah, yeah, like full motion video style game, not Night Switch, whatever that old Sega CD game was, where it's like we used to see FMV and it was like very tongue in cheek and like, oh, this is not performed well. This is clearly uh, video game people trying to make a movie. Alan Wake 2 isn't that. I think it's super unique in how it blends the real world stuff overlaid onto the graphics and then on top of full cutting to transitions of just real actors and then back into the game. And the sound design is exquisite, creating things that are very real, but things that couldn't exist in the real world and and blending them together and doing it all in service of this. Uh, the term Sam Lake has used a lot uh, in describing this story is, you know, this hard-boiled detective story, which if, if you're not familiar with that, it's very much this Twin Peaks and before that too, kind of the serial style of detective drama where, you know, people talk in a certain way and it's intentional and it's not in on the joke, but it's very self-aware in terms of what it's doing and how it's doing it. And there are so many moments in Alan Wake 2 that lean into that, but again, not in a cheesy way, just in a way that I think is showing reverence and understanding, and I would argue also elevating that genre. There's moments where Saga and Alex Casey, who's another detective in the story, you know, they're center framed and they sit there with their coffee cups and they pull them up in time, sip the exact same way bring them down and over as they have like, you know, this wood paneled background behind them. And it's stuff that you see in this genre over and over and over again. And I think it, it signals to the player, what type, what type of story this is going to be. And then while also continues to constantly change and challenge your expectations, there's stuff in this game. I have my, my little notes here. Um, that are just truly mind blowing, and I think part of it is um, I'm going to get I'm going to get his name right because well, I, I Alan Wake is consulting his notebook. It's been changed somehow. All the pages. I why are all the pages that. torn out and scattered all why around all, the world? Why are they Why are they crossed out? Um, James McCaffrey is the voice of Alex Casey, and Sam Lake is the face and mocap of it's Alex Casey. It's very disturbing Casey. to be walking around with Max Payne as your partner. But and and, and so <laughs> James McCaffrey is Max Payne's voice. And Sam Lake is Max Payne's character model. And now they're playing Alex Casey, who before in Alan Wake was the fictional detective in Al- the Alan Wake stories, who also still exists in Alan Wake 2 as a fictional detective that current actual FBI detective Alex Casey is aware of that there's a detective that he has the same name as. But now this is being played and voiced by the same people who played uh, Max Payne and very much in a way that is, you know, the leather jacket and the tie when you're in the dark place of who of, of the detective version of Alex Casey. And so it's doing all of this stuff where I'll keep referencing Twin Peaks over and over again, because I think it is the pop culture touchstone that most people will be familiar with that does what Alan Wake 2 is doing. Throughout. Or maybe True Detective might be a little more recent, you know? Yeah. And tr- True Detective certainly has some of that as well. And and that's not even talking about the visuals of this game. I think Alan Wake 2 is the most visually impressive video game I've played to date. What it's doing, and I'm playing on PC on a beefy GP. I've heard the PlayStation 5 version is also incredible. I haven't heard as much about Xbox. I think those, those codes went out a little later. Um, just absolutely stunning. It's use of light and the path tracing and the stuff that will hopefully get into all the nitty gritty of when we do that, that bonus content uh, later this week. But 
is absolutely jaw-dropping. There's a moment where you have a, a live action scene projected onto a wall in an environment that you're able to walk through and interact. And you can see that as you would if you've ever you know stood up in front of a projector, bend and warp in real time and, and map over your character as it cuts through and you can flash your flashlight in it and, and interfere with it. All of the beautiful graphical touches throughout this game, I think really pull you into the world and it's constantly challenging your expectation of what the world is. The, the stuff that I talked about in my preview of not understanding necessarily what's happening, I think has borne true throughout the game where it's keeping you the player on your toes, not in terms of like, how do I walk? You're not in terms of like what super Mario wonder does where all of a sudden it's body horror and you're 10 feet tall. And so are the Koopas, but in terms of the narrative and, and wondering if you can believe what you're being told when every narrator is an unreliable narrator, the, the mental gymnastics, the game is asking you the player to do, I think not since eternal darkness, was it 25 years ago, 20 years ago, has there been a game that has challenged me, the player in terms of what reality is? Cause there's stuff in the real world as saga that isn't, it can't be real the way people are interacting and talking with each other. And then as the game continues to peel back the onion as to what may or may not be happening, all of that stuff is reinforced and those earlier feelings are reinforced. Um, I, I think it is a triumph, an absolute triumph. I have not rolled credits on it yet. I got my code late, which is fine. Not neither here nor there. And we're recording this episode early. Uh, I'm very close to the credits in the game, it feels like, but because of those two things, I'm not quite there. But even without that, I can unequivocally say this is one of the finest interactive media experiences I've ever had. Um, I just want to live in the world. I just want to be there. Not really, because I'd be dead, let's be honest, but I just want to, I just want to have it surround me. It's a game where I spend more time walking than running. I think I talked about that with some of the Arkham games before, where it wants you to experience the world. It wants you to be a part of it. And then to Will's point of the PS5 controller, I am playing on PC but wired with my PS5 controller because the dual sense um it's an incredible controller and it, it, they've implemented it on the PC version. So you feel the rumble of the rain, the different weapons. Oh, wow. Have different so you haptic. get DualSense on the PC. Yeah. And it's, That's cool. it's absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. But I will be praising this game again, Jeff. I'm sorry if I've already talked too long. I will continue no, to talk about this game. I think it is an absolute tour de force. And if you are at all interested in it and, and what type of you know genre this, this game is, if you think it might be for you, I cannot recommend it higher enough, highly enough. And it, it runs really well or has been running really well for me on PC. I've heard the console versions run well, which is awesome because I loved Control, but I know a lot of folks struggled with that on base PS4s when it came out. And it seems like Remedy has created this next gen, you know, pushing graphics forward, but in a way that is still approachable and manageable on console. Um, I, I feel like it's a must play. In a year of every single game is a must play. Add this to the list. <laughs> yeah. Put it on the backlog. I, mean, I, I am blown the, away. Big caveat for must play because I think, you know, it's a very, uh, very dark experience. Um, and uh, I don't think people should go into this lightly. I think it is, it is a much uh, darker, more gruesome, um, meaner experience than the first Alan Wake was, uh, even though that game was, you know, you know, not shying away from that stuff. Um, 
wasn't all I, rainbows and sunshine. Yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I haven't decided if I'm going to play more of it. I've played uh, only a couple of hours. I don't like what this game, you know, how this game makes me feel. These aren't these aren't my kind of games, right? That's fine. I I am so impressed by visuals uh, and, and the world that is generated. It is extraordinary looking. And again, I'm also playing on PC on a on a very beefy GP uh, on a super ultra wide monitor. It supports uh, that resolution, that aspect ratio, ratio, and it looks stunning. But also, like the game has full on jump scares, and I don't mean jump scares in the context of a normal there's a monster that jumps out to you i mean you're just doing something and then the screen changes to something completely different a face shoots out at you and it screams in your ears uh i don't want that (laughs) i don't want that uh i you know call me any name you would like to call me as a result i'm fine with it i understand that that is not an experience i'm looking for um and you know it's it, it is um it's unfortunate that the game felt the need to do stuff like that. And, you know, it's just not my, it's just not my cup of tea. Wait, I don't know if it's done. It felt the need. To, I mean, it is that. It, yeah. And it's been, I mean, it is a survival horror game and I would say more horror than survival. I'm playing on standard difficulty and I haven't really had this inventory management problem. You know, resources are scarce. pretty fast, unfrequently. And it'll put you but in I've situations never... where it's like, well, now what do I do? I don't have any bullets. Now what do I do? Now now this thing is just going to kill me. Okay. I haven't had that experience. Um, I've had that experience but in, I'm, a lot in just the first few hours. Spending a lot of time, I think, exploring the environment. So maybe I have more more resources um, and perhaps a, a larger uh, bag. But yes, this is not – You know, it, when, when I recommended this game uh, at its highest, I, <laughs> it's not like saying you have to go see Encanto – it's representation of family and what that can be is beautiful. It's me saying, like I'm going to say later, you have to see Talk to Me. It yeah. is a, pic- a perfect horror film. Right. It, this is a horror game. Yeah. Do not play it with your children right. unless they are adults. <laughs> right. And the, and the first Alan Wake I don't think was nearly this much of a horror game. Right. It wasn't. It was more of a sort of creepy um, – action adventure kind of eerie experience um, that had some hor- you know, some horrific elements, but this is a, I mean, the first thing that happens in this game, the very first thing that happens is you play as a naked man in the woods, <laughs> stumbling, stumbling through the woods, stumbling yeah. through the, <laughs> in the dark, it, you know, it is not, this is not for the faint of heart and I am faint of heart. Um, so I will, uh, I will cop to that. And I was just hoping this game would be a little more accessible to me, but it's really trying to do something very specific and kudos for it, not pulling any punches. Um, it just, you know, whatever. I love the fact it seems, you know, from what I've seen of it so far, really quite unique. Like it's not something we've seen in a lot of it, you know, it sort of pulls, you know, that you feel a little bit of, of resident evil, you feel a little bit of control, you feel a little bit of, um, you know, some slightly more horror, horror filled games, but it, it feels like a really unique blend. And I'm, I'm really curious, Christian, how does the, the uh, remedy is quite always been quite big on this sort of like mixed media aspect of its games, like pulling in different sort of areas. I seem to remember that in, in Max Payne in the past, there's sort of, you know, live action pieces in this custom songs that have been written do you sort of really feel like part of a world? It feels quite a sort of unique experience. 
You do. And, and I think it is, you know, I don't know how many studios could do what Remedy is doing. I, I truly don't know how many other studios could could pull off what they're pulling off. It is such a complete vibe, which I feel like is still underselling it. I mean, everything... <laughs> the vibes are not so much immaculate as horrific. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and, and everything works together in, in concert in a way that I think elevates the experience. And I don't know how many other studios could play within genres and media types to have this complete whole it really feels special it feels unique it feels like something that i i think only exists in in video games and i think remedy has been building to this moment you know from max Payne and and through quantum break and control it really does feel like remedy at the the peak of their powers um, that said, I, I imagine I will continue to replay Control more than I replay Alan Wake 2. Control has such a fun combat loop. I enjoy just going into those kill boxes and using all of um, Jesse's powers. Alan Wake 2, I think, will be a like The Last of Us when I go and replay those games. It's, you know, I, it's been a year or two. I want to get back into that world. And I want to experience that, the feels of what that game is doing. And that's where Alan Wake 2 is. But I, I truly do not know how many other studios could pull off what Remedy has pulled off in Alan Wake 2. And also at the fidelity level in which they did. You know, there aren't a lot of, I don't know if there are any games that look as good <laughs> as Alan Wake 2. And to have it be this, quote unquote smaller team. They're a very big team and company, but you know, not an Activision, not a Microsoft, not an internal so- Sony studio. Um yeah, it is it is unique and special. And I think that multimedia stuff that they've been building to really shines here in its best form. Very cool. Alan Wake 2. I uh, want to tell you about uh you know a smaller game, an indie game that I have been playing. Uh, Jeff's indie game of the week. Uh, this is a, um, a game that, uh, I found on steam that has just gone from early access into full release, uh, and has changed quite a bit over its early access, uh, beginnings. It's called deepest chamber resurrection. Uh, this is a card based, um, progression based, uh, sort of roguelite, uh, very similar to a, um, it's very slay the spire. <laughs> Very Slay the Spire. Instead of going up a spire, you're going down into a dungeon. Uh, but the cool thing about this game, the game that the, the thing that really hooked me on it, is uh, its aesthetic. It, it is a throwback to a very specific old type of game that I happen to love. Uh, it looks like the old Ultima Underworld games or, you know, Bard's Tale Ooh. or Might and Magic. The old games where you would be a party of adventurers looking in first person at this dungeon and then there's a monster that kind of walks right up to you uh staring straight at you and your attacks are coming from the first person perspective that is the aesthetic here i think it's done very very well it's super cool but it is a pure card battler so you're you're uh casting spells and doing attacks based on the cards that are popping up in your hand the mechanical uh flourish the, the sort of innovation of this game uh, mechanically is that you can empower cards so a card will have a an ability and then you can empower it and it'll get a boost to its ability or it'll get an extra benefit an extra ability uh based on it being empowered and the way you empower it 
is you use a card that is in your hand next to it. So if you have, you know, three or four cards in your hand, the card on either side of the card you want to empower, if you use that one before you use the card you want to empower, it will empower it. So there's a lot of um, strategy as far as the order in which you do things and the placement of the cards in your hand. And you get ways to slide cards I was just going to say, positions. can I fiddle my hand around? Uh, no, not sort of uh, automatically, but certain cards will give you the ability to get what they call ah. a push card that lets you push cards. And then you can also, um, as you progress through the game, you can also level up your cards and give them different attributes. And one of the attributes is called slick, which means the card can slide around in your hand wherever you want it. So a lot of really cool ways to finagle it but then you also are restricted because you only have a certain amount of mana points and every card has a mana cost so you know you want to empower this card but you got to play another card before it but you got to manage the amount of mana that you're using to even get to that card and sometimes you can empower a card multiple times uh, but then there are other cards that let you like instantly empower all the cards in your hand and lots of cool stuff like that there are, you know, it is very much uh, embracing this Ultima Underworld style role playing idea. So you also have equipment, you have armor pieces, you have uh, little um, trinkets that you can use to level up. You get potions and things like that. So there's lots of really cool ways as you progress down further in the dungeon uh, to get more and more powerful, have more and more options at your disposal. And you're, you're doing it in that very much Slay the Spire way of, you know, going through the flow chart of like, here's a, an event and then here's a shopkeeper and then here's a combat. And, and before every combat, you get to level up a card, which is cool. Um, I really like this game. It looks rad. It plays very fun. It's quick. Uh, it's challenging. The, you know, beating a, beating a boss is really satisfying experience. Uh, I'm I'm digging it. It does all the things I want out of a Slay of the Spire like, uh, but does it with a, a very different visual sense. And uh, so all those layers of sort of traditional role-playing game on top of it. It's called Deepest Chamber Resurrection. I picked it up on sale for 10 bucks. So, you know. I was just about I, to say, 10, that looks like a good 10 bucks. Yes, yes, um, definitely. What, a, what an incredible, you know, we've had a lot of like retro, retro games. I don't feel like many games have sort of plumbed like late 80s, early 90s uh, yeah. PC vibes. And this is really taking me back. It's it's uh, a neat look because, you know, all of those Slay the Spire games, it's like good guy on the left, bad guy on the right. You do the thing, you, you play the card, it shoots the thing. And they're very much, they all very much look the same and to have this, and you know, it's not, it's not a throwback visually in the sense that it's pixel art or anything like that. It's very much, you know, Unreal Engine kind of fully 3D environment and your characters, your party of characters are all talking to each other and there's cool little story beats of like, well, this looks like a, a kennel. Why are we in a kennel? Uh, are they raising dogs? What's in here? And then the guy will like shamble forward from the dark. And it's like, oh, let's fight the kennel master, you know, or whatever. It's uh, it's cool. It's a very, very fun card-based battler. I, I really like it. Deepest Chamber Resurrection. All right. I also uh, want to carve a little time uh, because I've been playing a lot of VR lately. So uh, let's just for a second have a little VR talk. Virtual reality. VR. Virtual reality. 
So good, so good we played it twice. So good we played it twice. Um, okay, so lots of things to tell you about uh, in the VR world. Obviously got Quest 3 recently. I've been playing a lot of stuff on that. I want to get to it. Um, let me tell you about a game on PSVR 2 that I've been playing. I think it's also available on Quest, but I've been playing it on PSVR 2. This is the remake of Seventh Guest. Um, a um, great you know, creepy, spooky time for the, for the season type of game experience. And this is much more my speed <laughs> when it comes to uh, games like Alan Wake. I was going to you know, say, like, you're like, oh, I'm not really up for like spooky stuff. And it's like, oh, I'm just going to play a horror game in VR. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. No, well, I like spooky stuff. I don't love the macabre. You know what I'm saying? That's Alan Wake is like, oh, no. We are going to disturb you on a very fundamental <laughs> level. This is uh, you will. This is grisly, macabre horror. Uh, seventh guest is like, oh, we're invited to a party, and there's some spooky ghosts. You know, that haunted ma- a mansion. How quaint! Yeah, how quaint! Uh, and you know, both the games use uh, live action. Uh, seventh guest is much more my speed of live action. It's uh, people dressed in costumes. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Recorded, you know, and put in the video game. So the idea of seventh guest, it's it's an old game, completely remade uh, in VR. And basically what it is, you go into a mansion and you're trying to figure out, well, who was murdered there? The ghosts are trying to help you. And it is ultimately a series of escape rooms. Um, it is a puzzle game. Uh, it, you know, you're moving from room to room. A new room will be unlocked. You'll go into that room and there's a, a series of interconnected puzzles that unlock some new bit of information in that room. And usually that bit of information comes in the form of ghostly apparitions showing you something that had happened there. Uh, and that is full motion video, like classic full motion video actors in costumes. But it's cool in VR because they are done as apparitions and you can walk all the way around them and see them from any angle. And it looks like they're spookily standing there in their sort of, you know, astral blue hazy form. Uh, I, I think it's cool. The acting is, you know, much more that full motion video end of things where it's a little, you know, it's a little cheesy, but. I have no complaints, you know, it, it, it's charming in my view. And the puzzles are really well done because they understand that what you want to be doing in VR are puzzles that are physical, chunky. I'm turning cranks. I'm moving things. I'm sliding stuff and picking up things and rotating them. And it is all this very physical, interactive stuff that always feels so good in vr you slide something into place you pull something and to rotate it and crank it and uh so much fun i really like this game um it is you know very much a very specific specific thing you have to like puzzles it is pure puzzles it's puzzle after puzzle it's puzzle connected to puzzle you have to do this to get that i need four of those each four is each one of the four is its own unique puzzle to do that it's so it's all that escape roomy stuff if you've ever done an escape room this is a virtual escape room but done in a cool creepy uh haunted mansion and the um you know the central 
mechanic that you have as the player is you have this lantern that you can turn on at any time and it will shine a light, a beam of light uh, that shows you the way the mansion used to look years ago before it fell into disrepair. So and can you can you change the intensity of that light at all? Can you can you add some extra batteries? <laughs> just turn on the, the just turn on the floodlights in the room. Uh, no, is the mansion for Alan Wake. I get it. Is the mansion as it was before before Peter fell behind on his mortgage payments? And it's like ooh, a brownstone yeah. in New York, seven percent APR. <laughs> Um, the, the, but it's a cool, it's a cool effect because, you know, there'll be like a cobwebby corner and you shine the light into it and the cobwebs are gone and the, and the, the carpet is no longer faded and the wallpaper is no longer peeling. And, but just in that little section and you can Can see, please tell you about Alan Wake too, Jeff. I know I talked about it a lot. Is it in VR? No, you would. I think that would give you a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. Want I don't want that game to be in VR. But I do like this charming, spooky, scary experience because it's not really anything spooky about it. But it's fun. It's fun to be in a you know a haunted mansion, solving puzzles. Uh, it, it, I think visually very nice, um, very nice on PSVR two. I think Seventh Guest is, is a home run. I really like it. It's a great remake. It looked like they put a lot of effort and love into it. Fun, fun game. Um, our lawyers did chime in and say that it is a mansion that happens to be haunted, and we can no longer say the words haunted mm. and mansion next to each other. Okay. Um, yeah. It mm-hmm. is, let's say, it is um, a big thunder mountain is what it is. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You no? can't. No, 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 no. I mean, if it took place on a space mountain. Oh, no, no, no. I can't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. I also want to tell you, okay, so – Man, I have so many VR things to talk about. Let me just tell you quickly about uh, Piano Vision because – This looks I incredible. I, this looks really my jam. Will, if, if you have a chance to pick up a Quest 3, I, I – I'm. It I, says it's Quest 2. It, it oh, says really? that you can do it on Quest 2. That. I don't know to oh, what extent. Oh, shoot. Okay. They advertise it's, that it's um, Quest 2. Interesting. I mean, it very much uses the pass through. So, Piano Vision isn't so much a game as it is more like a uh, a learning utility. Um, but you know, it gamifies learning the piano. And I, I bought this um, because I happen to have from years ago um, when I first met my wife when we were first dating. She expressed some interest in learning the piano, and so I purchased for her a you know out of very high expense, I'll say, uh, a, a pretty nice MIDI keyboard. So I'm like, hey, you know, it's got the like weighted keys. So it really feels like a piano. And of course, it lived in a closet for many years, uh, untouched. Uh, <laughs> super home run of a gift. But uh, we have this mini, MIDI keyboard and my kids have played with it a bit. And, you know, we, we intend to get piano lessons for the kids and stuff. But anyway, I, I found out that Piano Vision on Quest 3 supports real MIDI keyboards. It also supports a virtual keyboard and it it supports like a traditional acoustic piano. It'll work that way too. But the best way to use it is to literally plug the MIDI output of the keyboard into USB-C in your headset, which is what I did. That's wild. Yeah, I bought a MIDI to USB-C cable for $6 on Amazon. 
and I plugged, you know, plugged it into the MIDI keyboard and then plugged it into the USB port on the headset. And it transforms your keyboard into basically Guitar Hero. So you're looking through the pass-through, seeing full color your actual room that you're standing in and the actual keyboard you're standing in front of. And it overlays on that keyboard a... uh gem highway for lack of a better term the the thing you would know from guitar hero or rock band um and so you've got the entire all the keys and you put on a song that you want to learn and it shows you you know coming at you down the highway the keys you need to press and so you put your fingers on the keyboard and it's got all the you know c d e f g a b c d you know all the 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 actual name of the note like transposed on the keys. So it looks like they're written there and you're starting to play a song. You push the button when it hits the right, you know, when the note comes down the highway and gets right there, you push that button and it waits for you. So it's like, it's not gamifying it like guitar hero and that it's like squang, squang, squang when you're doing it wrong. You know, it's just like waiting for you and it it's intending to actually teach you how to do this. And there are a number of uh, exercises in- included as well. And I think there's like a thousand songs. The song selection is a little to be desired. There's no Billy Joel, you know, which is what I was hoping for. It's all like public domain stuff. You know, it's, uh, you know, the, the the lowest level stuff is, you know, she'll be coming around the mountain and uh, happy birthday and, you know, old standards. So it's not hey, like people I'm... worked hard to make happy birthday public domain, man. Don't, don't yes, thank you, Will. Good point. Fair. <laughs> Fair point. Also, one of those useful things you can play on the piano. Fair point. No, and, and there's a lot of that stuff. There's a lot, there's, you know, Jingle Bells and 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 uh, Ode to Joy. And there's a lot of songs that like, if I walked into a room and there was a piano there and I started playing it, you would be impressed. You know, you'd be like, oh, Jeff can play Jingle Bells. That's rad, you know? Um, so I don't mean to completely disregard that it's it's cool and there's tons of songs and there's like classical stuff and all kinds of you know as you get up there's i think there's like 13 or 14 levels of difficulty you know as you as you get more and more sophisticated um and the i'm telling you guys not only was i able to just walk up having almost zero piano skill and play a song i put the headset on my seven-year-old and he did the same thing. Never, he just started playing a song and played through it. I mean, was it perfect? No, but like with some practice, it would be. And it's an amazing way to play the piano. I was, I was like, well, this is the future. I sent, I think I sent Christian. I think I sent you a video of of Jack playing it, and it's just like, wow, here we are in the in a world where. I can just transform a regular piano into a virtual instruction machine. It's just extraordinary. So anyway, Piano Vision is cool and it's not that expensive. I think it's, I think it's less than $20. Um, and uh, I, I purchased it. I, I think it's neat. I, I hope they put out some like more modern, cooler songs on it, but I don't want them to go to a subscription model, you know, which is tends to be the case with all these music-y things. But um, I just – that made the, the whole Quest 3 experience for me sing. It's like I, it, 
literally tells you, put the controllers down because you're not going to be using the controllers. We're going to um, track your fingers. You go through all the menus with you know finger tracking. You select your song and then you start playing. And because it's actually connected to the um, keyboard, it knows specifically if I've got the right notes or not. It, it stops when it doesn't hear the right note being played. If I pick up my finger too soon on a held note, it'll stop. You know, it's, it's, it works great. It's pretty impressive. And that's piano that's the vision. Real, that's really the promise of these things, right? We've been waiting for that kind of thing for years and years yeah. and years. From like early CD-ROM days of edutainment, this feels like a real satisfied promise. That's delightful to hear. Yeah. I mean, it really, you know, you feel like a cyborg. You're like, oh, I'm, I am being delivered a skill in a completely synthetic way. You know, very cyberpunky. Yeah, it's I don't know. I, I think it's slick. <laughs> OK, one last thing I want to tell you guys about, because, you know, it's our last episode before Halloween. Uh, so I need to tell you about something. I know we're long already, but um, those folks who uh, subscribe to the show on Patreon uh, probably heard us talking about this, perhaps because um, Danish, our friend, uh, was very high on a game called Ph- Phasmophobia, which I think is still only in early access. Uh, it is a Steam game that supports both VR and flat screen play. And in fact, you can do both at the same time, uh, various players. It's a multiplayer game about ghost hunting. And the idea here is you are a team of ghost hunters. You need to go into these various spooky places. Um, uh, houses, cabins, what have you. Each level is different. And there are a whole variety of different ghosts, ghouls, specters, spirits. Um, and your job is to figure out which one is haunting this place, which one or ones is haunting this place, and then get photographic evidence of them. And the way you do that is you have a variety of different tools at your disposal. Uh, ghost hunting tools. You have like a thermometer to to see if there's a big change in the temperature in one room or another. You have, um, you know, spectral analysis. You have these like, you know, blue lights to shine. You've got a video cassette recorder to get photographic evidence. You've got uh, a, like a notebook to leave in certain places and then come back and see if ghostly writing has appeared. A whole bunch of different tools and certain kinds of ghosts will be detectable on only a subset of the total tools. So it's a process of elimination. You go in and each of you on your team are only able to carry two different tools with you. So you have to sort of pick and choose which ones you think are going to work, go in, see if you can get any readings and, uh, and, you know, process of elimination your way into figuring out which ghost or spirit Uh, you think is inhabiting this place. Well, the problem is at the same time, you're trying to get evidence of the ghosts, but the ghosts are trying to murder you. So you can be in the house or the cabin or the place for a period of time. But once you start hearing the ghost coming, you are in danger. So you want to get evidence of them, figure them out, but you don't want them to be too close to you because they will kill you. So we played this, Lana Bashinsky, Danish Syed, and myself. Uh, we asked Christian, but he, he, was, he was not available. 
Um, <clears throat> and I, we have established on by this. Ask, by asked, it was, we're playing right now. Where are you? Yeah, was get in very, here. There were, What's the there's problem? There's an email thread of trying to schedule it that yeah, Jeff yeah. has not responded to for mm-hmm. months. Yep, and then yep. Jeff texts, hey, right now we're, we're playing. Doing it. And, no, yeah. But put put it on me. That's right. I was the one not available. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah, that's you, you got it right. You were the one not available. <laughs> um, <clears throat> anyway, so we uh, we jump into this this game. Danish and I are in VR. And Lana is not. She does not have a VR headset. She was on. Uh, but you can play cross-team. And the first thing I need to tell you about this experience, we, we've established on this show, I am a scaredy pants. I have no, no desire to be frightened. And Lana, uh, I think she would not disagree with me saying, uh, similar, similar, similar experience. Not, not wanting to have a scary time. But we're in it because Danish is like, this is super fun. Let's do it. So the first thing I need to tell you is that the experience of playing in VR with another person in VR, even in the worst, jankiest game, is fundamentally different than any – if you've never had that experience, I need to tell you, it's hard for me not to think it's the future. It is – there's just no way that people won't want to do it because it is – you recognize the movement of a human being and you have proximity-based communication. You're interacting with another person the same way you interact with people. You're talking, you're moving, you're gesticulating, you're nodding when they say something. You're, and it is one-to-one. It's you're standing, even though he's in Chicago and I'm in Denver, we're standing like we are standing in the same space interacting with each other. And, you know, setting up the game, like, where's Lana? Is she going to, then Lana arrives and she is not in VR. And therefore her avatar is moving in a way that you can only move if you've got, you know, a 2D surface and no hand tracking, which is to say moving from the, <laughs> the hips just like. <laughs> just glitching out all over Just the completely, you know, like. So we're trying to set up the voice communication. You have to like, uh, you know, change an option in the menu to get voice to work. And Danish and I have figured it out because he was like, okay, nod to me if you can hear me. And I nodded. And it was, so we, we tried the same thing with Lana. And we're like, nod if you can hear us. And she goes, from the waist, from the waist. Just like, it, and it is the funniest thing ever because you have two human beings who are behaving like human beings and then the like busted ass robot <laughs> that's behaving like a busted robot, just unable to move like a human, just like she's just standing there, her head. And you're looking at someone acting normally. It's yes, a abstracted, you know, virtual avatar of that person, but they're behaving normally. They're looking at you and you're looking at them. And then you have this like dead eyed, bad posture, weird, like not. <laughs> It was so funny. So funny. Excuse me. And then, you know, we get into the game. And it was uh, terrifying. Uh, Let me just put it that way. You go into the rooms. You hear strange noises around you. You're, you know, you're trying to get a flashlight. The flashlights are terrible. Not like the cool Alan Wake flashlights that have the extra pulse. Now, these are like wimpy little flashlights that you can barely see two feet in front of you. You're walking into scary places. 
you start seeing the breath in front of your face. Uh, you, you're looking at your instruments with shaky hands and you see the temperature start to drop and then you hear, ah, and you're like, ah, I'm going to die. Uh, and then I was the first person to die. It was a pants changing kind of experience <laughs> because I'm in VR and all of a sudden there are our hands like coming around the edge of my vision, grabbing me and making terrible noises uh, and, but the coolest thing is that once you die, then you become a spirit and you can float around and see where the other spirits are. You can't communicate to your friends anymore. It was a, an amazing experience. Uh, you can talk on walkie talkies that you, you have in your hands and you, you know, you're trying to coordinate all your, uh, thing terrified out of your wits. I had a blast with phasmophobia, uh, on steam VR, uh, playing with my friends. All right. I also have a, uh, at least at least at least one of your two of your friends. Not not one friend in particular, but you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. No, no, no. He couldn't be bothered. He was uh, <laughs> not interested in joining us. Um, we also got a, a listener uh, email uh, talking about VR that I've been meaning to read for a couple of weeks. Uh, this was from uh, uh, Jr. Novak, who wrote in, uh, hearing you talk about VR and lamenting the fact that you're mostly playing older stuff. Uh, I'd love to make one or more recommendations on PSVR two. I don't know if it's on any other platform. This is where I play it. I highly recommend Cosmo Dread. And it's the perfect time of year to dive in. It's a roguelite space exploration game with an absolutely solid, creepy feel. As I tell people, you remember how the first Alien movie kept you keyed up by making, constantly, making you constantly think the aliens are going to jump out at you, even when they rarely do? This game nails that suspense. Highly, highly recommended. If you have time for a second, smaller recommendation, also for PSVR 2, I recommend Zombieland Headshot Fever Reloaded. This is an excellent arcade shooter with quick runs and a great healing uh, of well-done score chasing. Uh, great healing? Anyway, uh, well-done score chasing. So uh, there you go. Two VR recommendations from JR Novak. Thank you, JR Novak, for sending that in to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right. That's going to be it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Will Harris for being with us. Will, thank you. You're the best. Appreciate you being here, buddy. It is an absolute delight to be here, as always. Thank you very much for having me on. And I would um, encourage everybody to go and check out Jeff's book, Best Summed Up, at uh, Unbound.com for his, for his film limericks. And I encourage everybody who isn't currently watching the video version of this feed so please, please go and get the Patreon and, and watch this because the uh, the performance by Christian is a, is a gem. Yes, I don't think he's moved <laughs> two inches in the entire time we've been. He's just been <laughs> totally Alan waking it hard. I expect to see your face though, just shooting my vision for one second for a split second. You know, like that. Christian Spicer, what do you got going on this week? It's Halloween. Yay, it's Halloween. Um, this show, I'm on threads, Christian underscore Spicer, as is this show, which is DLC Hype Train on threads and Instagram. And if you are not yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, and, you know, again, we'd love you to be patrons, but we also recognize that not everybody can afford that. You can support the show many other ways. You can tell a friend about it. And we've started putting up, based on listener and patron uh, feedback, we started putting up video chunks on youtube which is at dlc pod on youtube so you'll probably be able to see a little bit 
uh, of me as Alan Wake over there on YouTube. If you want to go and check that out last week, we put up my Super Mario Wonder thoughts, uh, Jeff's thoughts on Quest 3 ownership. So there's cool chunks of episodes as videos over there on YouTube. You can go and check those out. You are muted. Jeff, you are muted. Yes, and lots of bonus content coming uh, for patrons. So um, if you want to hear our Spider-Man 2 spoiler discussion, it'll be coming this week, as well as that bonus Alan Wake 2 coverage with NVIDIA. Lots of really cool, exciting reasons to become a patron at patreon.com slash dlcpod. Uh, you can also follow me on socials. I'm at Jeff Kanata, and I do the film cast talking about movies and TV shows. I do We Have Concerns talking about science and making uh, jokes along the way. And also the fan-controlled show, talking about sports. We're doing uh, NASCAR now, fan-controlled NASCAR, crazy stuff. Really, really cool. I had a fun interview with some NASCAR drivers this last week, fan-controlled sports and entertainment. All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Will, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I do. Just to um, just to harp back to what we were talking about earlier, um, my suggestion is um, Cyberpunk Edge Runners on Netflix. This is a fantastic um, anime series. It was developed um, in conjunction with Studio Project Red. It is an incredible thing to play alongside the game. I mean, not only is it one of the best kind of cyberpunk anime going, it's already got quite a quite a cult following after coming out a couple of years ago. Um, playing it alongside the game makes both experiences better. The um, the sort of depth that it adds to the world, the um, the little bits from the game that pop up, the fact you know just the you know the telecommunications feel and, and look and sound the same. The um, the corporations, the corpos are all the same and have the same sort of. It's an it's an incredibly immersive experience, and I will say that the Edge Runners as a as a series is um, is wild. It is wild. It is fun. It is one of the best animes that I have watched in uh, in my anime watching career. So I would say definitely anybody that um, hasn't given it a shot on Netflix. It's, it's only eight episodes, about twenty minutes each episode. But wow, it is it is punchy. It is it is a great great way to spend a few evenings. Very cool. That's Cyberpunk Edge Runners on Netflix. Christian Spicer, what is your parting gift? I mentioned it earlier. It is a horror film available to rent digitally now called Talk to Me out of Australia. And I think it is one of the finest modern horror films made. Uh, the basic premise is that there is a hand that allows people to communicate with spirits. And this is a bunch of high schoolers doing high school stuff and they get in over their heads. I won't say any more than that, but it is phenomenal. It is a really great version of modern horror and the conceit works really well also which i think like a lot of horror movies that doesn't necessarily always the case it is here it's told masterfully and if you're looking for a late spooky season recommendation i highly recommend checking out talk to me and you can rent it digitally and watch it in the unsafe space of your own house i totally agree talk to me is amazing we reviewed it on the film cast a while back and uh man what an amazing inventive clever movie um, my recommendation, you know, we're, like I said, last episode before Halloween. So if you have one last second to get some Halloween candy, I highly recommend a candy bar called coffee crisp. 
I don't know if you guys have heard of this. Uh, I re- recently came into a large number of these. And uh, <laughs> my goodness, Re- they are did you delicious. Treat your way into them. Were you just going around? Hi, coffee crisp. It was. It was. Uh, well, Lana Bashinsky sent me a, a whole bunch of them. I don't know why exactly. I, I've always been a big fan of these. So um, I just wanted to mention the coffee crisp. Really good. Uh, I've been nibbling on them, munching on a, a coffee crisp a day. Really, that's my. That's my. <laughs> That's my I new move him out of my keeps office. Keeps the ghosts away. Out. I heard a coffee crisp. It, it indeed, the, it does. Keeps the boo boos away. Indeed, it does. Uh, so, coffee crisp. There it is. My parting gift. We also got a listener suggested parting gift. This comes from Nizar, who sent uh, this message to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Nizar writes uh, The Devil's Plan is a Korean reality game show on Netflix where people play high stakes strategy and social deception games to win a large sum of money. I'm not really a big fan of reality shows, although I've enjoyed a few over the years, like The Mole and Physical 100 for different reasons. But this show is brilliant, in my opinion. The games are created specially by the show's creators and beautifully balanced between competitive and cooperative games, which are inspired by existing strategy games, board games, and social deception games. The competitors are all so genuine, even when they are cutthroat. And that little bit of difference makes it so much more special compared to the majority of competitive Western reality shows. I feel like DLC listeners will thoroughly enjoy The Devil's Plan on Netflix. Thanks, Jeff and Christian, for years of insight and entertainment. I miss the days of seeing you both at conventions in person for panels and live tapings. DLC listener and supporter for life, Nizar. Thank you, Nizar. We miss going to that stuff too, you know, it's... There was a whole pandemic thing that happened, and then I moved to Denver. It's it's a whole thing. But uh, hopefully someday we'll get back to it, right, Christian? That is the plan. I feel like the hype train became more of a uh, more of a sort of choo-choo. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, yeah. It's more of a hype uh, to sort two of a hype piece of string. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but thank you. So check out the Devil's Plan. I'm a, that sounds fun. I might check that out myself. If you'd like to have your parting gift read on the show, send it to us, DLCfeedback at gmail.com. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks again to Will Harris and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those fun bumpers. Our theme song was composed by White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. You can always get DLC swag at dlcswag.com. Thanks to Jesse J. Anderson for that. Our biggest thanks have to go to our patrons at patreon.com slash dlcpod. They're the only reason we get to keep making these. You can become one by visiting and getting some cool perks for yourself. Our top tier patron, our hype train patrons, oh, they get their own video game. It's time for us to discuss games uh, that we maybe haven't talked about in a while, Christian. Do you remember Andy Joyce's game? Andy uh, Joyce's Candy Choices? Do, do you I? that game? Yeah, because what people don't know, if you don't know, before you and I did DLC... And even before Weekend Confirmed, um, when we didn't even know each other, I knew you uh, through the other work you had done, TRS. And I remember you were so vocal about this on whatever it was. It was like uh, uh, gamespick'em.web.geocities or whatever that website Mm -hmm. was. No, you nailed it. I was the one. You were just like screaming this game. From it the was the golden age of match threes. Andy Joyce's Candy Choices. I, I've I've often said that Candy Crush is derivative of that game. Yes, yes, I remember. Yeah. And uh, you know, you 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 played as little Andy, 
and uh, and you got to uh, you made made choices. The strange thing was it was a match two and a half, which feels like <laughs> it was ahead of its time. You know, well, I mean, it was a choice, that's for sure. Exactly, right? you, His know, little, um, you would uh, you could you, you could find two candy canes and then like a little candy nubbin, and you matched the two and a half. You know, I remember reading an interview in an Edge magazine. I think it was probably two years ago now, but from the creator of Columns. And talking Mm. about how since columns in that initial era of these match games, how Andy Joyce's candy choice was now the benchmark for games going forward. And it is interesting, these lost icons of gaming. You know, here Mm -hmm. we are where ABK is bought for billions of dollars. Yeah. And Andy Joyce's candy choice is a game I feel like most people don't know about. No. And I think maybe that has more to do with the fact that they chose real off-brand candies you know just <laughs> like stuff coffee, that, coffee soggies yeah I coffee was soggies i don't think anybody <laughs> wanted to be matching those even at two and a half you know but, no uh, i mean yeah <laughs> a classic a classic that needs to be celebrated we have another classic to talk about you remember the uh, michael s game oh dude Michael S, where the S stood for, it was in the era where games had, you know, the expletives bleeped out, but people yes. were trying to push the boundaries. And mm-hmm. like, you'd play a song and like on iTunes, and it would be like, uh, you know, let's have a S time. And you're like, what is that? <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> what does that even mean? A yeah, sassafras, like, of course. Sassafras right. time. And, you know, it didn't, and like you'd buy a game at Walmart and you'd get the edited version, you know, like they did with yeah. CDs. I don't know if you remember that, but you'd buy, uh, yeah. you know, Grand Theft Auto 3 at Walmart. <laughs> There'd be yeah. no violence in it. There would be no game. It was just, yeah. a, it was just the, the box. It was a yeah. steel case. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. Pretty. Yeah. Much. It was very um, funny to me that they decided to, you know, to uh, do that with Michael S. <laughs> but. It was, it was that game very much similar to Grand Theft Auto. It was a time, it was a time when they, they were just all, you know, Saints Row was coming out. Although some people just call it S Row. <laughs> oh, I always knew it as Saints R and I never knew what that R stood <laughs> that for. Is, that is funny. I guess just different, you know, East Coast, West Coast difference, I guess on that one. But, yeah, I, mean, uh, I actually referred to this also in my circle of friends. We referred to it as M Sassafras. Uh, M Sassafras. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very strange. Very strange. Either way, uh, real good game. Uh, you know, I remember uh, I remember playing that for hours. It was one of those games where, you know, after you played it, uh, anytime you saw an S in the world, you, you want to just jump your car, you know? Is, the you S effect. It, yeah. the, they call it the S effect. That's right. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. your favorite side mission from the game? I know it's like early era, but now we have yeah. like Spider-Man 2 and all of these cool side missions. I'm curious if you have like a favorite Michael S side mission. Yeah, there was that weird uh, side mission that was just um, about uh, collecting all of the uh, all of the sassafras from from each of the stores. <laughs> you know, you had to pick in, you had to drive into each store and collect sassafras, and then you'd go to the sassafras uh, mart in the sassafras district, uh, and then you had to you had to collect all of it. And the inventory management was weird; like I couldn't hold all the sassafras that I wanted. You know, right. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember they had like the little puzzle mechanic where you had to like salt word solve basically, mm. but they were all expletives, but bleeped out. <laughs> yeah, and hard, it was made it hard, made it hard, so hard. I feel yeah. like I just guessed at the end, but I remember 
remember yeah. I got through it, but it was, it was like, what does an ampersand represent versus an That's at That's what they sign? always said. They said, guess with the S, you know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, those are two very, very good games, and we're grateful to be able to highlight them because Andy Joyce and Michael S., hype train patrons. And uh, thank you to all the hype train patrons and all the patrons. If you want to become one, patreon.com slash DLC pod. All right, that's it for this episode. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.